Welcome to Tales from the Rec Room, where nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. I'm your host, hideously disfigured, really great dancer, Bree Rohde, and who is with me on the line today? Uh, it is Michael Stevens. I am happy to be making a, uh, a long-awaited, far-overdue, some might even say kind of missing the point, return to uh, your show. Holy shit, that's meta. Uh, welcome welcome to the like n- new-ish show, Mike, to, to peak show 2.0, if, if you will. Um, and uh, which also uh, a remake no one asked for, a reboot no one asked for. Um, I, I do like to think of you as the peak show cartoon expert, even though tech, I mean, you were on one cartoon episode, which was our very beloved King of the Hill episode. And you were the only host during Star Wars Supermonth who actually cared about the Clone Wars. Uh, so we've brought you back to the rec room to talk about another cartoon about clones. There we go. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, you were very excited when I chose Clone High. Um, so can you tell me, I guess, actually, no, wait. We're gonna we're gonna go back to a, a peak show tradition, which is plugs up front, because no one sticks around for the plugs at the end. Uh, so, Mike, can you tell us like where where our lovely listeners can find you and your mostly hinged thoughts on Twitter? Uh, yes, it's uh, at by Mike Stevens. Uh, Stevens spelled with a ph. Uh, if you mm-hmm. want to have content on uh, how much I hate Toronto sports, uh, how much I like or dislike various horror movies or other genres of films. And then all sorts of content of me being like a dad, which is uh, about 93% of my personality at this point. Uh, you can find me there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun and, and safe space by and large. It is. And, and now, you know, as, uh, as people who listened to last week's episode know, your lovely wife, Rachel, finally made her first appearance on the Peak Show universe uh, or Tales from the Rec Room. Uh, but you are now a dad times two, which is uh, the biggest difference since the last time you were on, you were on the show. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, uh, twice the fun, twice the mess, uh, twice the love. Uh, we like to, you know, we'll make this a very special episode. And there's and- even more love than before. And indeed, this is also appropriate uh, that we're talking about Clone High because your eldest son, some might argue, is basically a clone of you. Uh, yes, uh, certainly. He well, actually, I call him more of a parrot because he says everything I say. Uh, often. Oh, he's in that phase now. Yeah, he's been in that phase for about two years. Um, he, yeah, uh, yeah. He and I, you know, he's he's my he's my he's my little buddy. Although I think now he calls himself my medium buddy because we have the littler one now. So that's kind of that's kind of cute. That is so cute. So, uh, yes, we are talking about uh, Clone High and our twist. uh, You know, Clone High is an an episode I always want to do back in the peak show format, but you can't really talk about the peak of a single season. We kind of tried it with that Mighty Ducks Game Changer series, but that even even that was tied to like a film series. Um, Film. I use that term, uh, I guess, kind of uh, like loosely, but also knowing how now how silly that sounds that I'm talking about the Mighty Ducks. Um, Clone High is not only one season, it's also a very short single season. So I'm really happy that we've kind of expanded the format here. Uh, but our one uh, our, our one kind of gimmick of Tales from the Rec Room is one or both of the co-hosts have to have originally consumed this through uh, 
either physical media, traditional media, anything other than streaming. So uh, let's talk about your history with Clone High, uh, which uh, debuted on MTV in 2003 or Teletoon in our uh, beloved nation on the on the sunny beaches of Canada City. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you see it uh, within the first year it came out or afterward? Oh, absolutely. Within the first year, um, you know, uh, so it came out in like November of 2002. Uh, I would have been mm-hmm. in grade 11. Um, it wasn't called grade 11 where I went to school, but it was grade 11 uh, by age. It was an international baccalaureate program. You, I saw your eyes breathe. So I'm explaining for the sake of the listeners. I was like, uh, Mike, you're from Canada. Uh, yeah, no, I went, well, but the school I went to because it was a private school that, and then there was also dealing with uh, the double cohort year and getting ahead of it. All of my grades, all of my, like, uh, like I went from grade seven to remove as opposed to grade eight Mm -hmm. because they were removing things. It was weird. And then by grade 10 was foundation year and then grade 11 was IB1 and grade 12 was IB2. So I, you know, when people talk about, when I try to like reference how old I was, I'm like, well, I was an IB1. Like that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean shit to anybody. Like you, you know, so anyway. I had uh, IBS. So, um, hey, um, sorry. We're Father's Day is coming up and I'm just ramping up the dad jokes. There we go. Anyway, so yeah. um, I guess it would have made more sense to be an IB2 for that. Huh. Anyway, um, so it would have come out when I was in grade 11 uh, or it's a private school equivalent. And um, I loved the show. Like it came out, you know, Teletoon was a really, really big part of, I think this might, as a bit of a background for history, for Canadians, Teletoon, like it came out in the late 90s, like 97, 98 range, I want to say, mm-hmm. and was, yeah. was part of this proliferation of cable TV that finally came to Canada because we get everything like a decade later. And mm-hmm. Teletoon, along with, for me at least, History Channel were like big hits for me of things that I loved and wanted. And also the uh, the Comedy Network um, mm-hmm. when it came out too. I loved those like channels 43 44 and 45 were, were huge for me anyway 44 was teletoon yeah so um, yeah so i'm sure i'm sure there are people who had like kojiko out in manitoba who were like no it was 38 anyway um fuck but, manitoba that's yeah. that's the official slogan of the show is fuck manitoba but to uh to finally get back on track here um mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily have watched it the day it premiered because that sort of information, like I'm not reading TV Guide, uh, but there would have been ads for it. And I mean, I had already watched some of the other things that were on Teletoon. Like there was like cool sort of anime stuff like Cyber Six. Uh, I want to make sure that mm-hmm. I pronounce that very carefully because it could sound like something else that was popular in the early 2000s. <laughs> um, but uh, so I would imagine... Probably by about Christmas break in in 2002, there would have been two, three, four episodes up on fairly common rotation because uh, of how Teletoon would repeat their their content because they didn't have the hugest library. Um, Mm -hmm. And from there on, like I would have watched, I would have watched, I think it came on at like, there was like a, a, a either like a, a at nine and then again at midnight or if, or if it was with undergrads it was like undergrads at nine and then clone high at nine thirty and then again at midnight to 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 twelve thirty and I would have watched actually both undergrads and clone high uh, twice like I would have I, if I was staying up if it was like a Friday night or something like that I would have watched both of those if I was not doing anything mm-hmm. fun which m- many nights in high school I was not doing much think of many things that were fun. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was same, but yeah. yeah. So it was definitely a staple of, um, you know, being age 16, 17, but also in reruns up to 18 and into university too. So for me, um, I I was a little bit later to the game, but I did still see it through physical media. I actually saw it around the same age that you were because you are three years older than me. So I first saw this in actually it was spring of 2007. Um, this is this is my like little brag, um, which was that somehow like because when I when I changed school boards, I ended up in a lot of like um, slightly advanced level classes, like taking a lot of grade 12 credits when I was in grade 11. And so like, oh, my friends were year older like that that what that made you cool when you were a nerd in high school um it also meant that all your friends went away to went away to college and university earlier um and so it was the spring that everyone else had just gone away for their first year and i was stuck in high school everyone came back and had just a little like reunion party at someone's basement and someone's like oh yeah i have clone high on dvd and i was like i i was only just familiar with the title Clone High, um, which was weird because I watched a lot of Teletoon, but I was in it for The Simpsons and to be honest, not much else. Um, like I had heard like, oh, Clone High on at 930 or whatever. And I'm just like, well, that's not The Simpsons. I'm not sticking around for that. Um, and I, I don't think prior to that, I'd even come upon an episode accidentally. I was so incredibly unaware of what this show was about. I'm like, I assume it's a high school of clones, but I like, I don't know, I guess I thought it was going to be more sci-fi or whatever. But I will say that being, you know, 18 or, you know, just on cusp of 18 and drunk in a basement with all my kind of late high school, early university friends, um, perfect setting in which to watch Clone High because um, that was kind of me just aging out of my like, internet cartoon stage like i was you know i want to say like when around the time the clone high first came out when i was unaware of it i was really into like the home star runner kind of oh i was such a strong bad kid um it i gotta you know this is maybe i need to do a tales from the record room episode about home star runner but were those creators christian or something because a lot of christian kids loved loved that series i was not a christian kid but uh Every I, Christian kid I knew was into Homestar stuff. <laughs> I, I wonder, I, I don't, I mean, I can't, it, it didn't have, you know, like it, there were, weren't parables of, uh, uh, you know, Jesus in the cave or anything like that. There but, weren't, but there was famously no cursing. Yeah, that, I think that's probably what got, yeah. what, was, what was the loophole was that uh, good little, good little saints could watch it because they would say silly words without it offending God. Yeah, unfortunately, like so much of um, so much of Strong Bad is like embedded in my in my little brain. But that's that was kind of the beauty of like these really fun line readings, which is I think what I f- fell in love with Clone High uh, for as well was like the line readings of everything, um, like everything. And of course, the first time I watched it, I was drunk off my ass, and so that is when that is one of the few times when it's funny to just kind of repeat the same shit over and over again. Um, but then, you know, uh, my friends lent me their DVDs and I got to actually burn through the whole series, which you can do in not even a particularly f- like stuffed afternoon. It's such a quick series to burn through. Uh, I So as somebody who to prepare for this uh, watched this week, uh, I went through the whole, there's, there's actually a, a YouTube link where you can watch all four and a half hours of the original season of Clone <laughs> High. And, it's actually like four and a half hours. That's that that is a slog. That's like yeah. that's like a, a Lord of the Rings movie and a half. So there you go. I I was going to say a Marvel movie, but I should know that in your family you would go for Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah. Um, it's uh, so I've answered my own question, which is you know was this something like 
was this something you watched on your own or with your friends? I obviously watched it for the first time with my friends. I will say that um, despite the fact that Clone High, like I was introduced to it through friends, it was one of those things where like when I went into university, um, a lot of people that I met, despite having really good taste and things, just hadn't heard of or watched Clone High. It had, similar to me, I guess it hadn't come along their radar. You, It was this kind of show that you needed someone to show you. And so that always got to be my show that I introduced other people to. And that... I, I think there's no better feeling for a little comedy nerd than like, oh, I got to show, I got to show so and so this TV show. Um, so was Clone High something that you enjoyed with your friends, or was it more of like a Mike's private little thing? Um, little bit of both, I think. It was partially because when I went went to university, that's when I actually sort of found more people who maybe didn't have uh, the you know the, the the cable channels because that was part of it was that if you had just the basic package you weren't getting Teletoon. So I think that was, I think that was part of the problem. Like it was one of the biggest failures of the show and why it didn't get a larger mass appeal was you had, despite having great writing and voice acting talent and everything in, involved there, you kind of threw it out in the middle of nowhere. And then in Canada, where you have an even smaller population on channels that not everybody gets, like, it's not like the Simpsons on Fox. It's not, getting into 8 million homes every Sunday night sort of thing. Um, it's it's uh, sort of, you're hoping that like 20,000 people maybe watch it, maybe like it, maybe have the free time to be there. So initially I was like, oh yeah, this is funny. And I was always a history nerd anyway. Um, I still am. Um, but so it, it appealed to me. Um, but then especially when I got into university, there's, that's when people had the DVDs of it. And I was, I was in an arts program. And so like more people had, I think, uh, you know, that, that same love. And I mean, you know, uh, you have a guy like Will Forte and, and all of the cast basically as scrubs, which were also huge <laughs> monoculture shows at the time. Um, so that there was this sort of overlap there. Um, and that's when I definitely in, in, in like first and second year of university, despite the fact that I'd probably already seen every episode like a million times each, uh, that's when I, I watched it with friends just, you know, baked out of our gourd because um, you could. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and I think because because Clone High, um, it, it's really hard to find the stat. Whenever I say something like this on the podcast, I'm like, I can't actually back this up for the most part. I just know. I know it in my in my soul that Clone High had a longer and more valuable shelf life as a DVD than as a broadcast show, um, as is evidenced by the fact that in the US, they didn't even air the full series. Um, so there are certain DVDs that especially around like our college age, and this is why, you know, Tales from the Rec Room is a celebration of physical media, baby. But like you see that DVD set in someone's dorm room or whatever, and you're like, oh, you're a cool person because you're still like picking your friends based on who likes the pop culture I, you like back then. Um, it's similar to when we talked to Arrested Development and I said like there was a guy on my floor. I walked into his room and the second I saw like, oh, you have a stair car toy. I'm going to sleep with you. Mm. Like um, I... <laughs> I don't make my decisions that hastily anymore, but you know what? If someone had a stair car and a clone high uh, DVD, that would have been a marriage proposal. Well, right there. There you go. Jared, watch out. Um... <laughs> oh, I got to show him clone high. I, I hate to say this. He did not particularly get it. Um, I love my husband, but he kind of didn't get the appeal. And I wonder if it's a generational thing. I mean, but I also wonder what year was that? Was that 2013? Was that 10 years after the, the series had, like, you know, some things yeah it was early in our dating life 
So like some things, some things uh, can stand the test of time. And I think by and large, Clone High does, but also time and place matter, uh, context matters. Uh, and I think that would probably mm -hmm. be a yep. limiting factor to it. Super. And we are going to get into the context, but first, an incredibly important uh, question, which is when you first got into the show, you know, you said you were about 16 or IB2. Um, what were your go-to TV watching snacks during that era? So I grew up in a weird family that like didn't have uh everyone grew up in a weird family that's not that's nothing special but um <laughs> i was like one of those families that was like you know, don't spoil your dinner so mm -hmm. um the I, the notion of like snacks didn't really happen to me until again like huh. munchies munchies with friends like if i was watching something at home by myself if we had bag popcorn in the house i might have had that but otherwise, it would be like, no, I'm just going to like drink a President's Choice caffeine and sugar free uh, uh, cranberry soda because that's what we had in the basement <laughs> fridge. That and like soups in the freezer that were 20 years old. So uh, I actually like I like it, it wouldn't have been until I was in, in university that I really would have had both the the income and the uh, uh like safe space to eat snacks didn't really have them. Mm -hmm. well and like you said watching these uh these episodes stoned out of your gourd i mean when clone high first debuted when i was in the eighth grade that was actually when i was because i always talk i've talked previously on the show about being like really into salty snacks that was when i was getting a little bit more sensible of like you know what i'm i'm gonna sit down with a bowl of grapes or something um you know i because i do love snacking on fruit that's that is the that's my entire personality now but um but when I first watched Clone High, like I said, I was extremely drunk the first time I watched Clone High. And it did become a show that I tended to watch when I was drinking with friends. So Clone High, I do associate with not just drinking, but also like my very sugary drinks mm. era because I didn't like beer. I still don't like beer. Um, and um, I was not I had. I want to say this wasn't giving me a hangover yet, but I think it was. It, I was just willing to deal with the hangovers from extremely, like, fruit punch with vodka in it, kind of, and always pre-mixed drinks, um, which is actually better because back then you couldn't trust me to free pour. Like, I look, I'm like, I used to go through a Mickey a night. How did that not kill me? Um, and oh God, the, be, the question is, it should have. But to be that age again, I, like... Uh... I had like two drinks last night and when I woke up and they weren't even like really strong drinks or anything like that. And I woke up and I'm like, Ooh, two drinks. That's, that's, uh, that's mm -hmm. about as much as I can do. I'm, I'm an old man now. Whereas, you know, the better part of 20 years mm -hmm. ago, I could be like, Hey, here's a, a two sixer of, uh, of, of rye. Let's see how much I can finish off of it tonight and then go to class tomorrow. Oh God, we were idiots. Um, so speaking to twenty years ago, let's talk about the context of Clone High. So um, for being as like kind of regarded as culturally insignificant, um, and it, again, I think you said this because it was on cable, um, but it really was the intersection of I think three big content booms, which was teen dramedies, sketch comedy, and adult animation. Um, not that sketch comedy was just booming then; like sketch comedy, I think, was in its heyday. Um, but it was a very prolonged heyday because, you know, like In Living Color wasn't even on the air anymore, but, um, like, so of, let's start with the teen dramedies angle though, because I feel like three episodes in a row, um, we've now talked about the teen movie or teen content boom of the late nineties to early two thousands. Um, 
but you really have to talk like you have to talk about it as a backdrop for this show. Um, and I was thinking, like, in most cases in this era, like, spoofs, spoofs and super spoofs were genre killers or at least, like, genre tranquilizers because, like, scary movie blunted teen slashers for a while. Not another teen movie really put a stop to the teen sex roms. But because no one watched Clone High, like, the fact that it really mercilessly parodied a lot of teen melodramas, like, those those series continued unabated for a while, like, because even after you had The O.C., which I'm sure someday we'll do an episode on. Um, were you a big watcher of these like Dawson's Creek type shows? Yeah, yeah shamefully, yes. Um, the O.C. Oh, like, I don't think there's I think Dawson's Creek is an OK show. Uh, like Kevin so, Williamson was a writer on it. Uh, my uh, my my older sister was a huge like she's uh, uh, three years older than me. So she was sort of coming online to TV and media around the tail end of like, I guess sort of the first wave. So of like the 90210s and Melrose places, Melrose's place Mm -hmm. anyway. um, And then, but she was really big into Dawson's Creek. And I mean, you know, um, uh, uh, I watched a little bit of that and like that, you know, very common story. And, And basically you could take Dawson and transplant Abe right onto that character. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, either Joey or someone else is, is in the Joan role or back and forth. Um, yeah. I mean, I watched, I watched those because those were, that was the, uh, marketed to me, I, I think is as simple as anything else. And, and even it's superhero equivalent, like Smallville, Smallville was something that I watched probably way too much of. Um, but God, I, what happened to that actor? I'm just Tom like Wellington? the, yeah, what happened? Huh? He was in that horrible Steve Martin movie where he has a million kids, and I can't dozen. think of anything else. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. He's probably just rich and handsome and buff somewhere, counting his money. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. probably he's probably like just like some mid to late forties dilf somewhere in California. I would guess. Good for him. Um, but yeah, so then I look at the the kind of recent heyday of sketch comedy and well, like, yes, I'm I'm not saying sketch comedy was just exploding. I think there was more a consensus that sketch comedy was was really, really good in the late 90s. Like, there's no real consensus of what the quote unquote golden days of SNL are. I think there's no the golden days. Like everyone says, people think the best seasons of SNL are the seasons when you were in high school. But um There is a lot of consensus that the late 90s era, like the Will Ferrell era, was extremely high quality. Um, I would also argue that that to like 2004-ish, when you had like Tina Fey as the head writer, her and Amy Poehler doing Weekend Update, that was also a really great time, Um, particularly a lot of like good female performers on the show. It was coincidentally also the time that Will Forte joined the cast. Mm -hmm. Um, And also the late 90s, because Mad TV debuted in 1995, that was the last time anyone liked mad tv i don't think anyone ever loved mad tv but the late 90s was probably the last time anyone liked mad tv were you a mad tv watcher i yes um and i i mm-hmm. i think yeah i mean mad tv of course is relevant to uh, uh to clone high because there's there is a fair amount of of overlap um i think uh nicole yeah. sullivan who does the voice of joan, joan. Was, was on yeah she was the voice of joan and a few other characters michael mc Michael, Michael McDonald, I think, did gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny because I thought I I was going to write like Nicole Self and Michael McDonald, Phil Lamar, but I was wrong. Phil Lamar did not do any voices on Clone High, and I think I just made this assumption because Phil Lamar has become the guy that every animated comedy casts when they need a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forgot that back then we just had white people voice people of color. Um, well, I mean- so. 
Yeah. And it's it's actually what the crazy thing is it's it's uh, Donald Faison Faison um from Scrubs. Uh he does he does Great, yes. he does George Washington Carver, all of all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Like anyway, I asked I guess to your point on on sketch comedy, um you are right that everyone's favorite era of SNL is when they were in their adolescence. That being mm-hmm. said, you look at the early to mid 90s into the late 90s into the 2000s that is about a a 12 to 15 year span where whether you're going from people like norm mcdonald and adam sandler to will ferrell um and then up into the tina fey years amy poehler um anna gasteyer one of my favorites you have just juggernauts of comedy and many of whom are Mm -hmm. still relevant today and many of whom would go on despite thinking that they could be at the zenith of their powers, you have someone like a Tina Fey who yeah. then goes and makes 30 Rock, which is even which is even better. And is also, in a lot of ways, sketch comedy. Uh, it's just with a with a, yeah. a with a, a much better uh, running narrative throughout the whole that sort of ties everything together. But mm-hmm. it was a boom for sketch comedy, I think, as well, with the advent of the internet. Um, mm-hmm. It was hard to put something online that was long form. But you could do a 30 second to two to three minute sketch very quickly and easily with relatively low production value and and sort of associated costs. And I think that was sort of like the confluence of where we get a lot of the comedy that comes out in the early 2000s because you have people in that sort of that early era um, being able to put this content up at with no overhead, basically. And that it's just mm-hmm. it's funny and that sort of created the landscape. Yeah, not only no overhead with the um, kind of uh, early to early aughts internet like flash comedy, um, but also um, because a lot of um, traditional entertainment executives really didn't take the internet seriously back then. Like they still thought of it as like this internet thing that'll blow over. Um, that there wasn't as much litigiousness, and um, you could just do straight up parodies that use the same names of things um and just like this is just a parody of this uh of this tv show which we're naming we're using the same characters um which i didn't even realize um until i was kind of doing the research for this that they couldn't even get all the clones that they wanted because certain uh, estates are very litigious they couldn't get marilyn monroe they couldn't get uh certain american historical figures so i thought that was i thought that was interesting but i think because um internet cartoons got to be so unapologetic and so biting with their parodies, I think it did really push um, adult animation. Um, what what I find with Clone High is it reads so much like um, a sketch, per- particularly a mad TV sketch, because like, what if we parodied high school soaps, but they were clones of famous historic figures? Sounds like such a fucking mad TV sketch to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it, yeah. it, it, that's what's the, the really the genius of it is that Sometimes you just have a great sketch that can go for five minutes and you're like, all right, that was really wonderful. And then you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you milk it too much when you actually paired to your point of saying like the three pillars of, of, of clone highs, artistic uh, or entertainment success, depending on where you want to fall on that. There are thousands upon thousands of famous people. There are, mm-hmm. There, you know, the then you also have all the tropes and sort of rote learning of uh, of what a, a you know a teen drama is that you can just put you can sort of just do a plus b equals c 
and have a plot come up, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And actually to sort of jump to a different thing, which is they reuse a lot of ideas from the first season in the new season. Like they have, they have a, 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 a test prep episode that is mm-hmm. in the second season now that is basically just the worst version of the, the PXJT episode. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the reboot. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched the first like three episodes. I'm I'm not a fan. I'm trying not to, like I said to you via text the other day, I'm trying not to be one of those millennials who's like, everything was better when I watched it first. But I'm like, ah, oh, I just don't know how necessary this is. I'm not going to say it ruins anything for me. But um, no, like what I find, um, and they try to recapture this with the, with the reboot, um, the thing Mad TV was criticized for, which was its broadness and silliness, it worked for the original run of Clone High. It's so broad. And, but... It, first of all, broadness works when you're animated, mm-hmm. um, but also the characters, the voice acting, the writing was really, really strong. Whereas like Mad TV, like one of the things people hated about it was that it didn't have any recurring characters that people liked. People fucking hated Stuart. They hated uh, Alex Bornstein's awful uh, racist. I forget what. Yeah. Mrs. Kwan. Yeah. Yeah. No one liked. No, nobody liked that narrator voice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like. Back in the early aughts, I found there was this really tired consensus that comedy was either smart or it was broad, um, which is why, like, for so long, SNL reaped the benefits of being the smart sketch show and Mad TV was the broad sketch show. And, like, I think in the years since Clone High, a lot of really strong comedies like BoJack or the original run of Arrested Development, uh, the aforementioned Scrubs, or even Community, I hate that I'm admitting this, prove that you can combine smart humor with broad humor and there can be intelligence within broad humor. Um, Like, I'm not saying Clone High is a super smart show, but I'm saying broad is not stupid. And it's a great example of that. Absolutely. You know, I I look at, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of Looney Tunes in in Clone High as well. Uh, Probably the Mm -hmm. best example that I can, I mean, aside from like the sheer violence, that befalls characters and then like, <laughs> um, and like the, the 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 stinky skunk and and all of that stuff and sort of the, the merry melodies aspect of all of that. But one of the greatest examples that I love and that that is a recurring joke is people have so much trouble exiting. No exit is correct. It's either JFK exiting <laughs> and then coming back in three or four times to be like, and another thing, and another thing. And, oh, I just want to check my my hair in the mirror. <laughs> um, you know, and and then and then exiting, or it's like uh, Scudworth dropping keys to Gandhi when he's in the uh, the ADD class, and and he just jumps out the window, um, or having <laughs> and like so that's broad comedy. But then they also do it in good ways too, where it's like uh, Abe runs off to go uh, race JFK uh, when he's sleep deprived, mm-hmm. and Joan comes in and, and checks, and it's done in a series of shots where she sees his bed; it's completely made. There's no indent on the pillow. And then she sees an open window and and the blinds are sort of fluttering. The, the the curtains are sort of fluttering to show that it's, oh, that's how he escaped. And then it pans a third time. So it's a rule of threes comedy. So it's using some intelligent things. And there is an Abe-shaped hole in the wall that he exits from. So like things like that, things like that, that is Looney Tunes. Like that is, that is very, yeah. very Looney Tunes, but it's also fairly smart because it's using film grammar and it's using mm-hmm. the rule of threes and it's it's using all these different things. So you can actually totally mix these things together um, to say nothing mm-hmm. of the fact like the historical references that Clone High made even beyond, you know, like I think one of the smart things was anytime you see Cleopatra in profile, she looks like uh, yep. one of the hieroglyphs, you know, or she looks like one of like the, yes. the ancient paintings. 
That's smart. The animation care that they put into both Cleo as well as Gandhi, and like as much as I'm sure the character of Gandhi was discontinued because of sensitivity issues, I mean, like, this is where, yes, side tangent, but it's a side tangent I think we could both agree with. When people say, like, oh, you couldn't make X today, like, I'm pretty sure when you look at stuff of the early 2000s, which was 20 years ago, so it is not today, like, there were real world consequences. People in India did hunger strikes over Gond- over the Gandhi character. Um, Family Guy was um, had an episode banned. Like the first run of Family Guy had an episode banned because it was incredibly anti-Semitic in nature. So people did not get away with being horribly offensive. Um, that said, I also, part of me suspects that the character of Gandhi was also discontinued because he was really difficult to animate. They said they spent about, they, there was about twice as much animation work on Gandhi because he is constantly moving. And this is where I say like animation will never be as good as it was back then because I don't think like anyone is willing to put in the work to these bits. Now, how much did it pay off? Because no one fucking watched Clone High in, in its original run. So I can see where they're like, we're not going to put any more work into this fucking guy. But like Gandhi is a brilliantly animated character. Yeah. Oh no, and that's, I think, I think that's one of the the, hallmarks of the show is is that he was the central you know comic relief character um he was the tasmanian devil basically uh, actually yes Mm -hmm. uh that's a great it's a great to to keep on going with the looney tunes analogy (laughs) um he was taz but i mean you know i'm i mean i'm more than willing to agree because it has nothing to do with me really but that getting rid of getting rid of gandhi doesn't make a show better or worse per se it's about respect and yeah if you have people who are protesting and being willing to go on a hunger strike and confronting mtv executives um you know uh, that's a good reason to get rid of to get rid of the character to say nothing of the fact that yeah you know you had it been cool you would have needed an update mm-hmm. michael mcdonald probably couldn't be expected to do that character again to say nothing of the fact that he's yeah. probably in his early 60s at this point and he may not have the, the vocal chops anymore, but who knows? I would also venture to say, and I will say, use some restraint and say this for later, that I don't think Will Forte has the vocal chops anymore either, which is weird because his voice just basically sounds like Will Forte, but like he does not sound as good. In Thank the you. Current... I, I agree. I 100% agree. You can hear it. Um, <sighs> I, okay, I you know, I'll just say this now. Let's do it. I... I Yay. Okay, so I like Will Forte. I generally like Will Forte. Um, also, he is one of those actors that I think for the longest time he was getting like Botox and stuff, and now he is not because in the latest season of I Think You Should Leave, which I think I liked a little bit better than you did, um, I look, I'm like, holy shit, he is looking so old all of a sudden. And it's like, he went from always looking young and fresh to looking like and and I like it. I like when celebrities actually like age like they're supposed to. But there's something about his voice where he now always sounds like an exaggerated version of himself. And he has more of a signature voice now. Um, back in the original run, he just sounded like an everyman. And I think like he, there was a bit of cutesy naivety to him, but it didn't scream, that's Will Forte. And um, kind of like any Chris Parnell voiced character. Um, Chris Parnell is another one of those comedic actors, also coincidentally an SNL alumna, where like 
you are getting him for a voice that it, that just kind of disappears into a role. And I don't find his voice disappeared into Abe in the remake. He sounded a little... There's something about him that sounded really tight or overly animate or something. I can't quite put my finger on it, but... It's 20 years. It's 20 yeah. years of aging. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it comes for us all. Uh, you know, when you're doing... Uh, oh, shit. Rec Room season... 19 or something like that uh this is this is you will sound different i will sound different um so i mean i think that's i think that's natural a little bit Mm -hmm. um but i think i think as well uh you are right that it is it does almost sound like a parody of what will forte's voice is which is funny because the narrator voice which he also performs that in its time sound like when you listen when you watch or at least when i watched the first season this past week that's what mm-hmm. will forte's voice always sounds like to me whereas the yeah. abe voice you're like oh yeah no that's just a voice actor but like, you are right that there is there yeah. is a uh, a natural or a a real a realness to it that is that is done and i'm sure if you were to ask forte he would say well i've made millions upon millions of dollars by doing this voice <laughs> fuck off you know, like he, it yep. would be, it, you know, yeah. he was, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care. I'm sure, I'm sure MTV had to drive a boatload of money to him, especially to get him on board for this season, for the newer season. He's got better things to be doing. Like absolutely. he's, he's one of the cast members who absolutely has better things to be doing. Um, now, one last uh, thing just to, and we touched on it a little bit, especially in talking about Bugs Bunny, but there was absolutely a late 90s adult animation boom. Um, some of the things that lasted, such as King of the Hill, Family Guy, uh, Futurama and South Park, and a few little one-offs like The Critic, PJs, um, and a- another big one, which had been long running at the time, but it was basically driving Adult Swim with Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Um Clone High also premiered the same as one of your phase, the Venture Bros. Venture Brothers. Um, I was, I was waiting. Which, I was, yeah. I was waiting. I'm like, she's gonna, she's gonna say, no, she's not. PJs. Who cares about yeah, PJs? They're... Come on, come on, get, get it. Say it. Yes, Venture. Brothers. I actually like the PJs, it's... but like, I'm, I'm a white woman, so yeah, um, yeah. Congratulations on Venture Bros for getting up to like four seasons. Um, I, okay. I know enough have... about the Venture Bros to know that that is the joke. They that have... their seasons are what like eight years between. Uh, not that long. There's like three or four year gaps in between, and it's worth yeah. it every single time because sometimes when creators oh, are 100%. To, when sometimes when creators are allowed to come up with the ideas that best work for them and are given the runway to do it and can survive cancellation like six or seven times, you get something really wonderful. And I'm very excited for the movie that comes out. Uh, they have a concluding movie to sort of deal with the 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 remainder of season seven um that comes out in about a month uh and i'm gonna be watching that and i'm gonna probably cry during it um (laughs) because um but actually i was gonna say there are a ton of similarities between clone high and the venture brothers because it's all about pastiche it's all about referencing either previously existing media or in this case previously existing humans uh and so Mm -hmm. that makes that makes for a uh, a sameness there that that kind of that kind of works and then a lot of the attitudes as well where boy there's some stuff that doesn't hold up in clone high boy there's a lot of stuff that doesn't hold up in venture brothers it is mm-hmm. it, it, it was more adult and in ways that um you know you, you kind of wish you could sit the the creators down and be like well do we want to say anything about that was it was it the time you know any anything like that so um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean yeah Sorry, go ahead. 
No, uh, there there will always be stuff in comedy. You know, you've you've said famously on the show, comedy edge is like milk. Um, I to me, one of the best ways to address that or like is um something like if you listen to the It's Always Sunny podcast, especially for the first couple uh, seasons, the guys are rewatching their old shows. Like, oh yeah, the very first episode is about Charlie getting caught saying the n word, mm-hmm. and you know, and then making a black friend to prove that he's not racist. And they're like, would we have done this today? Uh, probably not. Like, it was wrong back then. We were assholes back then. We made it. We're not going to spend all this time self-flagellating ourselves, but don't do what we did. Like, no. I think it's it's good to not self-flagellate over it, but it is also good to acknowledge like, wow, yeah, we, we didn't think about this shit back then. Um, but I want to talk about cancellation, and I don't mean cancellation in the Gandhi sense. I mean literally getting a show canceled. Because um, as a self-appointed Simpsons historian, I do go out of my way to find ways to connect every animated comedy to The Simpsons. Um, but I'm looking at MTV's history with animation, and you either have the absolute highs of things like Daria, Beavis and Butthead, um, uh, Celebrity Deathmatch, another big one. Um, but then you have some lows, and I'm, I'm going to talk about Mission Hill. Um, and there will be a Tales from the Rec Room Mission Hill um, episode when I can find someone who actually watched Mission Hill when it was first on. I, I don't know if such a person exists. Um, but you really, yeah, yeah, you watched yeah, Mission Hill. Yeah. Because again, it was on, it, it ended up on Teletoon, and I had it. Um, and so, like, that was oh, also part go. of the block. I think it would have come out a little bit before. Uh, a little bit before Clone High it was like 2001, 1990, 1999, 2001 range. Well, because what happened to Mission Hill, because like I've noticed with with MTV is MTV is very quick to decide. Like it is Netflix levels of quick to decide with ratings like, oh, this isn't working. We're going to pull the plug. Um, and so like with Clone High, it didn't air like the last five episodes in the US. Uh, with Mission Hill, it aired like two episodes and then waited a year or two and then burned off the rest like after everyone had forgotten that this show existed so i assume that because mission hill premiered in like 98 or 99 uh i presume that when it started burning things off that's when it went to international networks so um but very very similar story with the two and i i have to say like i just think the world wasn't ready for mission hill i love mission hill almost as much as i love clone high maybe i don't quite like the characters as much but uh yeah i love mission hill and it is kind of crazy how quickly with both series MTV decided this is not working, pulls the plug. I don't know what time slot Clone High got. I was never able to kind of figure that out. And it would have been very different in Canada because we had a different airing schedule. But I'm always convinced like this was probably screwed by the time slot. Hard, hard. I mean, what's so funny is when you look at actually Mission Hill and and, um, Clone High have a good similarity insofar as you have uh, a partnership between two of the, I don't know, funniest, smartest, cleverest people uh, mm-hmm. that were, you know, because it's, it's Oakley and Weinstein uh, for Mission Hill. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, Lord and Miller, like those are Christopher. These, yeah. Uh, you know, like these are, these are two twosomes that, did better things before and better things after and have grown, you know, like they're like, it's, it's kind of wild that they both couldn't succeed. And I don't know if it's so much time slot or if it's just the draconian fist of, of music television. Mm. Not to mention, I think like, 
I don't know what kind of rules there are with marketing, but when you have something like Oakley and Weinstein, uh, Oakley and Weinstein, you can't advertise it on MTV as from the creators of The Simpsons because The Simpsons is a Fox property and stuff like that. So, um, like if I were a Simpsons, like I being a huge Simpsons fan, if I'd known that this existed, I might have watched it. But it's MTV, which also we didn't get in Canada. Um, but anyway, so this is uh, a new per episode segment I like to do where we just talk about three to five ways. I, I call it the rabbit hole segment, which this piece of media affected our media consumption habits or our regular habits. So how did this send you down some rabbit holes? How did the chemistry of your impressionable little brain change after you saw this? So uh, I've got about three things that this had three really big impacts this had on me. Number one, like like I said, this was the first uh, cartoon or TV show I saw directed at young people that dared to have a thesis of the way you see high school and adolescence on TV is melodramatic shit. Like, I mean, I saw this after I saw Not Another Teen Movie. I mean, it came out after Not Another Teen Movie. But this was, this really was like, all this sincerity you see in high school uh, drama is just silly. Um, as much as like young me loved the random humor of it all, it was one of the first times I saw a show that addressed very mercilessly high school media tropes. And it gets compared a lot to undergrads because they aired at the same time. I I found undergrads still took itself a lot more seriously, at least in cartoon terms. But after Clone High, I, I started seeking out media that didn't take itself so seriously, especially for, for young people. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, what is so great about the send-ups is that you then realize it, it, it's, it, it's got a weird... This is one of the great aspects of comedy, which is when you watch something that accurately mocks or makes light of or parodies or satirizes something straight, something sincere, um, you see how dumb it really is. And so, like, mm -hmm. it's sort of like if you watch Clone High, you can never watch One Tree Hill ever again uh, because yeah. it just it just sort of it breaks your brain because you see what the format is, you know, and I mean, they did it. One of the best, one of the best examples uh, uh, is that every episode was on a next week on a very special episode of Clone High, mm -hmm. you know, and you had that, you had that moment of, of, wait, how is next week a special episode? What, why are the stakes always so high? And then you see that and it, and you're like, oh yeah, no, that's every episode of the OC. That's how Fox sincerely marketed every episode of the OC. And then also- and um. The biggest culprit of that was my so-called life. Oh, the uh, were the you old a fan Jared of that? Leto Claire Danes, one. yeah. But you're, isn't Jared Leto? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Um, yeah, he's like the main love interest, and it was kind of a like we're best friends. We've you know we've loved each other for so long. Abe and Cle or Abe and Joan kind of thing. Right. But that was the ultimate. In like there was a period of that I think around the second season where every episode truly became a very special episode. Right. And the other thing, I mean, another another great way of, the, of doing it as well, and this maybe ties in more to the OC and, and sort of presages what the OC would do later is music acts being like, you know, next week we've got the Beastie Boys on this very special episode of the OC. And it's like they already did that joke with Marilyn Manson and Jack Black in, in Clone High. Like they had that same. And mm -hmm. so like when you think of it that way, you're like, huh, this really is just this really is just like, OK, so I guess. Fox also owns the record label that is that has the Beastie Boys and like it, it so I think mm. that's one of the most enduring aspects of something like a clone high is that it shows it removes the veil of of how we're being marketed to from 
both your eyes and your dollars. And I think that's something that, you know, matters like that like that might be that might be mm-hmm. the nicest thing anything anybody could ever say about clone high is that it, it helped educate me anyway on how bullshit everything mm-hmm. is and i i i know i said this earlier but i 100 percent guarantee that if clone high had been more popular if it had been a conventional network show um we might not have gotten the oc we might not have gotten one tree hill because when you spoof something really effectively it can make a genre go dormant for a while because Absolutely. especially when you are spoofing the sincerity of it all. Like I, I, I said, I liked Dawson's Creek. I couldn't watch it after I watched Clone High. I was like, why are there so many docs in this universe? I love, like, I, I live, yeah, I, I live on a great lake and there are not nearly as many fucking docs in my town. Well, and I mean, I love, I love how it's not even just like one doc. It's twin docs so they can have this forced distance of you're on your dock. I'm on my dock. We're both brooding about our thing. And they and, and I'm sure there are Dawson Creek episodes where they would do via montage, you know, Pacey and Joey sitting on opposite sides of the lake, thinking about and ruminating on their love for each other. But that in Clone High, they're doing it six feet away. And, you know, to the point where yeah. you can step over and walk on together. Like, like that stuff is that stuff's wonderful. Um, so I guess that was your first point. What's what's your next what's your next tactile sort of takeaway? So um, I think it was a grad, I would call this a graduation or a growing up of my love of rando humor. Like I said, I think this, um, this is an example of combining broad humor with a lot of smart humor. So like 2007 was the peak of silly internet cartoons, not just like Homestar Runner Newgrounds, but like the demented cartoon movie and of World and stuff that I thought like, I will have like an ironic affection for this forever. And then I watch it back. I'm like, no, this doesn't even hold up in a warm memories kind of way. Um, like that kind of shit was funny when I was 13. But I, Clone High's humor leans a bit more on intelligent or at least informed place because you had the conceit of the historic characters, even like little non sequiturs. Like you don't have to put in a line about uh, where's your date, Rock Hudson? He's over with Oscar Wilde playing pool. Like you don't have to have that. Um, and and some people have criticized this kind of humor because like it does feel like it's rewarding you for being smart. Um, but I don't know. I think some of the it's like little Easter eggs. They're really good, and it it's a little thing that reminds you, hey, we're laughing a lot, but also we're using our brains, and that's what makes it funny. So this absolutely paved the way for me to get into shows like Arrested Development as well as Community. Um, yeah, like it's an example of a TV like Community. I have my feelings about it. Uh, that's a TV show I think occasionally tries too hard to reward viewers for being smart because you can have too much of that. Only occasionally. Okay. God. I, yeah, we, we, can turn, uh, we can take yeah, this right yeah. off the rails. We don't need to get into it. I think we're on the same page that community is overrated. It There are some great aspects of community. It got too high on its own supply. That's the summary. But, but yeah, like it really paved the way for... Um, the type of humor that I would seek out, which was just smart enough that like I I could all there could always be a secondary layer to why I was laughing. Absolutely. Well, and I think I think you know to your point. So the the, the Rock Hudson Oscar Wilde joke. So that requires you to know he knows how to treat a lady. Um, that mm-hmm. requires you to know <laughs> about frankly Oscar Wilde's quite well known homosexuality versus. Rock Hudson's quite clandestine homosexuality, which, or mm-hmm. at least queerness. I mean, it, it, both men 
I believe were at least married to women for a while. So maybe it might not be fair to just say outright that they were that they were gay. Although a lot of their their themes and their work later on in retrospectives, yada yada yada. Anyway, you, you know, as I gotta say, as a, as a bi um, who is married to a man, I will say that when people are like, well, you know, they were married to women. That might not always be a sign that they're bi, because remember the big old compulsory heterosexuality. You know, well, Kathleen Wynne was married to a man; she identifies as a lesbian. And and no, and but I mean, I know in, in Oscar yeah. Wilde's case, like there was, uh, he he did also give it a go for a while. So I think there's 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 uh, good for him. Uh, hey, I mean, <laughs> any port in a storm. Yeah. Um. But uh, <laughs> but so that joke. Yes, that is rewarding an audience who, and the other thing is that it's like Rock Hudson died from complications related to AIDS before I was born. So who is getting yeah. that joke? Who is that? That joke, that joke was for Lord Miller. That joke wasn't for, if you're trying to get an early 20 something to watch this in 2002, they might, they might be nebulously aware of who Rock Hudson is. They might be more familiar with who Oscar Wilde is, because I think it's fair to say one is a more prominent person than the other um mm -hmm. but uh, what i will say though is that they did do better jokes with that where i think one of the great examples and this is why i i i love cleopatra i think she's cleopatra smith um she is why she's so <laughs> i love that that's that's just a great joke that, i'm sorry that's just a smith yep. you, you give her Sorry, I, it's funny because I always mix that up because I always thought that was I always mix that up with um, the character Cleopatra Jones. So I thought it was a black exploitation joke, but that's because I misremembered it, and because yeah. I, I thought the joke was that her name was Cleopatra Jones. But that's me mixing shit up, baby. But so where the show was both funny and also like like rewarded rewarded intelligence, but also was just funny. And this speaks to your comment earlier about line delivery. Early on, there's one of the episodes where. Um, Abe and JFK are trying to become class body president or student body president or whatever. And mm -hmm. Cleo says something along the lines. She asks JFK to run for student body president and then abolish term limits and rule. And then she could rule for life as a proxy. What's really funny about that is her delivery is really funny about that. She like, she, cause she's like, wow, you are serious. But then also that's what Julius Caesar did who was Cleopatra's paramour for many years. So like mm -hmm. what's so what's so great about that is that that rewards you for being like, yes, I have read about what happened in 47 BC. But also um Krista Miller's delivery of that line is so intense and it's so snappily written that it works. So I mean like that's that's where I like that's where I love the show is that cuz I can tell you when I was 16 17 years old, I did not know about the Julius Caesar abolishing term limits. Like I might've, but I wouldn't have been able to make that connection. Earlier this week when I watched it, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's a really, really clever joke that waited 20 years for me to find it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, talking about the humor that like, who is this for? And it was written for Lord and Miller. It makes me think again of Oakley and Weinstein. Their seasons of The Simpsons were very much stuff that made them laugh because like, especially when you compare them to their predecessor, Mike Scully, um, he was really into like casting uh, like guest stars that were like, the popular uh, movie stars and rock stars at the time. Oakley and Weinstein filled up that those seasons with old men, like and like old random old actors and stuff because they enjoyed that. Like, and so I think like and 
that that can often yes it can be self-indulgent at its worst but at its best it can create humor that is highly specific and highly specific humor is very effective humor uh so my last rabbit hole and this is something that i'll say it undid for me because i spoke in my episode uh of 10 things i hate about you that after i first saw that movie when i was 10 years old i wanted to be cat stratford i wanted to be like not like other girls and the depiction of joan in this show was a great way for writers to call out the the character type that we would now refer to as a pick me girl or not like other girls like joan is incredibly unlikable um and that's one thing i didn't like about the new series is that they they kind of forgot that joan is supposed to be a little entitled and unlikable um because when you watch it back there's not much about Cleo that is bad aside from the, you know, joke about her wanting to abolish term limits. Um, but like Joan is very entitled to have Abe. And so when you are like me, you've previously tried to be one of those girls. It does feel like there's a bit of a spotlight on you. So that was one of the personal rabbit holes that sent me down because Joan is a really effective parody of that type of character. Absolutely. Well, and again, it's it's. And so is Abe in terms of being the special boy. Uh, of being like mm-hmm. oh i like oh i'm so conflicted i want i want the most beautiful popular girl at school and i can't see what's right in front of me like that like they they both do that very well um and so they're sort of perfect for each other i think there's a really i think there's a really sort of genius element to that and disabusing you of the notion that uh you should behave a certain way or be you know or or uh you, you're right. It's, it's sort of to, to, to use a, a Britishism. It takes the piss out of what was marketed to us from all of the sincere shows that were out there that were saying like, mm-hmm. no, when you're 16, the first time you feel love, that's what matters. That's all that'll matter. You know, and like they do and they, they really do hammer home that joke of like, oh, well, uh, you know, the choices we make at this age when we all lose our virginity at prom will matter for the rest of our lives. And it's like, no, that's a footnote. That's that's a footnote of a footnote. That's that that doesn't even make it into the Wikipedia article. You know, I mean like that's yeah. um so I mean that I think that's a really wonderful uh I think it's actually a really wonderful element of the show as well. Um yeah. I mean we they they would still go on to write girls like that. I I I thought this was an essay that I tried to find, but I think it might have actually been a Twitter thread. But there was this wonderful thing I read a couple years ago that I am unable to find out. But its thesis is basically Janice is the actual bad guy in Mean Girls. And um, I I think sometimes we go too far with that. Like, no, Regina George was also a very bad person in that movie. But um, just that, like, there are a lot of characters that writers, uh, especially female characters, that writers got away with making very unlikable and very mean. But we are, but we confuse being not a pinky popular princess with being likable. And um, for a long time, that trope continued unabated. And again, because no one really watched Clone High, it was not a major pendulum shifter in terms of tropes. So it didn't actually destroy that trope on a broad on a broad notion, but it certainly destroyed it for me. Fair. If yeah. I could... All right. Yeah, I want to talk about some of your rabbit holes. If, if Yeah, well, I was going to say... I was gonna say um the big rabbit hole or sort of like enduring effect for, for me was how quotable the show was. I still mm. have friends. <laughs> like I still have one of my, one of my really good buddies, uh, a guy named Brandon. He and I have been friends since we were like 13. We watched the hell out of the show together. And 
he will still do like the I uh, would like a potty platter. Like he'll still do that <laughs> now. Um, you know, like there will be, you know, I, I think about, I think about um, sort of getting the the like the the, the jokes of of uh, like you know like makeover 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 it's suicide like what that, an earworm <laughs> like that is like that sort of stuff is what's truly like that is what is truly enduring for me about the show that mm. I can just never like when I think of that show I think of the lines I think of the quotes that are either zany or or weird or then in some cases you know it's it's uh, you started off the show with it. And I think that was a really great sort of hallmark of the Kennedy jokes were incredible. Oh God, yeah, that was probably some of which the best does suck way. that. Yeah, it does suck that they couldn't really have a Marilyn Monroe. Cl- I think there was a one-off joke about Marilyn Monroe, wasn't there? <sighs> I mean, they basically just used Catherine but, yeah. the Great as the Marilyn Monroe stand-in. She looks very yeah. similar to like the what they put her in her hair. She's meant to be mm-hmm. a, a a Marilyn Monroe type. And because you have clones from so many different historical eras, what is great is that you can um, you can have so many different kinds of jokes. Like um, one of my favorite jokes is uh, Nostradamus's uh, uh, promposal. I knew you were going to say that. Very, yeah. Yeah, very, very different from uh, decap. And then you have a joke about decapitating Anne Boleyn and who was the other one who got decapitated? Marie Antoinette. Um, Marie Antoinette with the helicopter. Like, yep fantastic very very different humor absolutely well and that's and again that that's something where you know it's it's sort of like when people think they're smart because they're halfway decent at jeopardy and and mm-hmm. where where it's like oh yeah no that's that's pretty clever you know you're you're to cat like mm-hmm. the, like the joke the joke can work on its own of uh of of your your you know i think probably marie antoinette is the most famous person to be decapitated Anne boleyn is less famous um uh, they wrote green sleeves about it. Well, there, there you go. Um, but I yeah. would imagine, I would imagine that actually, what that did in its own way was, was, and this is going to be me getting all drama degree here. Some <laughs> of the jokes were so clever; they actually serve as a as a didactic tool. In that, you mm-hmm. might be nebulously familiar that Anne Boleyn was one of Henry VIII's wives, and as you would know, he had a lot of his wives executed. But you may not know the mm-hmm. method in which she was executed. So that what you do is you sort of have this A plus B equals C again, where the joke lands of mm-hmm. everyone knows about, you know, that old that old Harridan and her let, let them eat cake. I don't know who Anne Boleyn is, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, she also she also was killed by the cat. Like there's there's stuff like that. Yeah. That is that that I think I think works really, really well. Um and to your point, and again, going on this sort of mathematical formula of why of why things work the way they do, they really were able to just, you could insert Napoleon in somewhere. You could, you know, mm-hmm. I think one of, the, I think probably my favorite possibly uh, minor characters is Genghis Khan. Um, <laughs> uh, although I think it's, I think it might now be more properly pronounced Chinggis Khan. The name updates a lot uh, because... Um, well, honkies like me uh, uh, read it, read some manuscript from some like French explorer from the 1300s, and we transliterate things incorrectly. So, um, mm-hmm. but the the Mongol ruler is one of the most fascinating characters. He's played as a as a big dumb oaf, and yet mm-hmm. also sings a beautiful Ave Maria. Like the, the, that sort of that sort of humor. <laughs> that sort of, 
But I love, and I'm sure that's a trope at this point, but I always love when you mm-hmm. give, when you give like the, the, the big dumb guy ends up having some wonderful skill. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I loved in, in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul with Huel having, you know, and I mean, I, I, we, we spoke about this, we, we spoke about this, uh, actually in the Star Wars, uh, uh, episode about how that actor is just a phenomenal, like, sort of, uh, juxtaposition or contrast or something like that that works so well. Mm-hmm. So I always, I always like that about, uh, about Clone High as well is that you sort of, you can put in things where it's like, yes, here is the joke you know, and then, eh, why not? Why not make Genghis Khan a great singer? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talk about the line readings that endure, and I just remembered one thing, and of course, I, it's been uh, now uh, 13 years, because tomorrow I'm going to be 34 years old. Shoot me now. Um, but uh, when I turned 21, uh, all day, I said, I am 21. Um, and am again, not- it's one of those things... <laughs> I'm not 21, like, which, uh, as we all know, does not matter in communist Canada because you uh, start, you can legally drink at 19. But yeah, like those, I I like that there's a really, really strong supporting cast of clones because it's like, we need a joke about X, like go through your Rolodex of clones and find a clone that can make this joke work. Like, I really do think like, it, and it comes close to, again, The Simpsons in terms of joke-a-minute uh, jo- joke writing. And because you have this very broad uh, fantasy-like concept, you can do that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and even in that mm-hmm. I am 21, I am not 21, that's, that's like a rule of threes plus um, montage humor plus like the cuts and everything. And then you have like, okay... Okay, Genghis, this is very simple. You just need to go in and say you are 21. And he can't do it. Mm-hmm. And and uh uh you know, then it then it cuts to Will Forte very patiently explaining. So okay, they used some clever lines of 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 inquiry there that might have tripped you up. And like he's trying to go <laughs> and then and it's at it's at it's at a further and further away gas station or, or yeah. worse liquor store. That sort of thing, that sort of thing works great. And you could do that, like you could have picked, you frankly could have picked any character to do that, but they, 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 they use mm-hmm. the right amount. They use the right amount of, of Genghis Khan for that. And then of course, in other scenes where you're going to be relying on, and again, it's, it's Abe and Gandhi and then a third person to make this joke work. When the, the Nork, when they make the Nork, uh, Gandhi and Abe, it's Napoleon. And Napoleon is mm-hmm. a, 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 a real dickhead of a manager at, uh, the restaurant, the, the TGI Chili's that they're working at, which of course makes sense mm-hmm. because he was a shitty little dictator, you know, like he was, he, you know, he's sort of known, you know, so like there's, you can, you, you sort of, you can fit the character from history into whatever joke you want, um, mm-hmm. you know, which I, which I quite like. I'm just, yeah. I'm just thinking about the I'm 21, I'm not 21. And uh, well, I swear I'm going to stop the Simpsons comparison soon because really the show has nothing to do with the Simpsons, but Um, I think of, you know, a classic bit on The Simpsons from shortly before this era, which is the Hello, Mr. Thompson bit, and you smile and nod. And what I think a worse TV show or a worse cartoon would have done, and probably worse cartoons have done, is they take that joke and just do a worse version of this. This is that same joke, but they put enough care into it to 
make it different in ways that are actually funny, such as you like the difference here is you have the people that are consulting with Genghis Khan being Abe and Gandhi saying things like, okay, he used a very tricky line of questioning there. Um, And so it doesn't just feel like it's ripping off the hello, Mr. Thompson bit. Um, anyway, it, it back to Mike's is, various rabbit holes. Oh, but it, it, actually, to your point there, it's sort of like take, finding the longest way to take the quickest route there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're drawing it out in just, in just such a way. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, in, in, in terms of a, a rabbit hole, um, what it really did for me is it, because of how it ended and where I was in I guess, consuming entertainment. Um, but where I was in terms of watching it, the big rabbit hole or something that, that just kind of kept with me and I, I unfortunately have not been rewarded the way I wanted to is this show made me think mm-hmm. of what you would do in a second season. Where would you go? Mm-hmm. Where would you go? And like, I, I was thinking of like, oh, who are new characters that we could be introducing? The things that they eventually would go on to do. And I guess another, and, and this is sort of connected into it, which is, boy and i think i said this about arrested development as well mm-hmm. boy when you catch lightning in a bottle there is such this desire it's it's that it's the notion of the summer love um you mm-hmm. know of of it was so perfect but was it so perfect in retrospect was it so wonderful that it needed more or was it perfect and fine mm-hmm. as it is like you could always add you know, they could have they could have always added another brush stroke to the Mona Lisa. Would that yeah. have made it better? I don't know. I don't think so. I I to to be a bit of a Lucille Bluth, I don't know and I don't care to. Um but uh yeah, like you know, you're not I'm realizing you're not our cartoon expert. You're our things that didn't need renewals expert because you've also appeared on the show to talk about whether or not a renewal of King of the Hill is coming. And that's one of those things I swear to God, I have heard so many times, it's not happening. It is happening. It's not happening. It is not happening. happening. And I just it's making me dread it um so much. But what I'm thinking is, you know, you talk about comparing, you know, an original season to a summer love. Was it really that great? The other um, aspect with renewals, especially renewals that you have to wait a long time for, such as Arrested Development, uh, Clone High, when you talk about like it makes you think of how good a second season could be. And much like I'll compare it to losing your virginity, specifically, as you mentioned, losing your virginity at prom. It's never going to be as good as you've imagined it, especially if you spent a lot of time imagining it. Um and it's like a weird thing where, you know, you kids don't know what you want because you're stupid. That's why you're kids. Um, but like, I, I thought like, I, I, I want a clone high that has the exact same humor as the first season. But also, I want it to be completely different and off the walls. Like, I, I don't actually know what I wanted it to be. But as it turns out, like, nothing will be as good as I could imagine it. So, yeah, that's why we, we can... We, you know, we've kind of arrived at this natural conclusion. Why I just think it's not even whether or not this reboot is good. It's it's not good enough to justify its own existence, in in my opinion. Like, not everything needs to go on forever. Not everything good needs to come back. And to, to be cynical, content has always just been assets, but we really are in the content as assets stage of things. Um, and Max is a particularly shitty example of that. But yeah, I'm like, this... This doesn't need to exist, but hey, they they drove a truckload of money up to Will Forte's house. What was he going to say? Well, and I mean, exactly. his hands were tied. 
Um, he was weighed yeah. down. He was weighed down by all of the gold bullion he was given. You know, and I, I, I also think, uh, boy, I feel like I do really repeat myself. Maybe I just have a very specific ethos about creative work. It's called I, a brand. There you go. Uh, gotta have it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take away from all of the people who put in a lot of work to make the second season. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's important to say that there were a lot of people who cared. This was probably a, a, a passion project for a lot of the people involved. This is somebody's first real job as a whatever. Um, and so there, there is probably a lot of love and care that went into this on, so, on so, you know, small micro packages of work levels that made the show very important to them professionally and also personally. Mm-hmm. There is the question, though, of who is it for? Who watched, like... Yes. Who is it for? Because, okay, we were teenagers watching it and early 20-somethings watching it. And I imagine that was true for other people. Like, I don't think there were a lot of people who were 35 years old in 2002 that were like, ah, I like this, who are now Mm -hmm. pushing 60, who are like, ah, I want to see things involving Confucius and Frida Kahlo and now we have better cell phones and TikTok analogs. Mm-hmm. Who is that for? The people that, that like what's what's so weird about the update to me and where again you really can't catch you really can't catch lightning in a bottle twice is well we've made it modern. Okay, cool. That's that's fine. But the people who are involved in this now have back pain. Uh, mm-hmm. why why are we trying to focus on like uh you know uh why are we trying to focus on certain elements that are more modern okay we're going to get people to watch it well why would a 17 year old today want to watch something that was made before they were born that might have beliefs that are problematic to their or like that might have statements and and things that are problematic to what they view as acceptable today like you, you kind of have this weird gap here where it's like, okay, so was it nostalgia mining? Are you trying to do something new? Was this just mm-hmm. was this just a a way for Max to uh, get the services of Lord and Miller for another movie they want to make? They want to do another Lego Batman, or they want to do another Surely, you know, like and so that was this something where mm-hmm. they're like, okay, we'll carve out ten million dollars for you guys to make a new season of clone high because you have desperately wanted to do this for yourselves for 20 damn years if you also make 23 jump street for us is that what this is yeah because that's what this really comes down to in terms of like the why of it all because you know it has clone high is not a perfect television show you can't nothing's perfect perfect is not real um Mm -hmm. except for henry cavill that guy is Everything about him. He's like a nerd, but he's hot. He likes swords and good in all sorts of different movies. He's a good Superman. That guy's perfect. Otherwise, no one else is perfect. I bet he's a good singer. I bet he smells nice naturally. Other than that. You're describing exactly how I feel about Kali Yarncroft, but. I mean, hey, there you go. Uh, First 20 goals in the Leafs. Anyway, uh, requisite sports talk out of the way. This is only my first time bringing up sports on this new show, I believe it or not. It. We did it. Um, third time's a charm. Um, yeah. But, you know, like for the why of it all and, 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 and 
why clone high endures versus why it's being forced to endure now in the in the present like those are two different Mm -hmm. things it endures because it was two very smart creators a dozen very smart or talented voice actors coming about to your point at the right time in a confluence of a couple different really you know so like it was able to stand on the shoulders of giants a little bit in a way that worked and then it was allowed to die it was mm-hmm. sort of forced to die but for a while it was allowed to die and that we we got to we got to let things die uh, and run run their mm-hmm. course i don't want to sound so macabre but uh, you know um, no, I'm a big fan of death. Um, but, uh, and, and like, that's not even say, now I will say this in semi defense of the new, uh, the reboot. I almost turned it off after the first episode. The first episode was, it, it wasn't that it was offensive. It was bad to the point of being offensive for me. And it's because the whole plot of it was about being canceled. And again, like I ask, who is this for? And And I'm not one of those people that is such a social justice warrior that's like, no, all humor about being canceled is automatically bad because I don't think that. I think there are funny jokes about getting canceled. Um, I just don't think that that was one of them. And I think it, it's weird because it missed the central, like it it seemed to almost be in response to like, oh, people have found out since this, since the original series that JFK was a bad dude and that Abe Lincoln was a bad dude. No, they were all bad dudes. Everyone knew that by 2003. Like, so again, it's like, who is this for? Or are they convinced that Gen Z like rewatched Clone? Because I mean, to be fair, we have seen some very precious overly online takes about like, I just watched for the Simpsons for the first time and Homer's a bad dad. So like, maybe it was in response to that kind of humor. But it's like, everyone knew that JFK was a philanderer. Like, everyone knew all these things. And so to turn it into a joke about being canceled, it was very not fresh to me. It felt, that's where this felt like we have two guys who are uh, in their late 40s now at this point as creators. Mm-hmm. Probably, maybe they've been a little bit too online. Maybe they've read a little bit too much critique on where media is going. And I mean, of all the characters, mm-hmm. I mean, I, what I find so funny is of all the characters to uh, uh, focus cancellation on, I mean, Abe Lincoln's kind of one of the most universally well regarded humans. Like ever, yeah. He, Whereas yeah. you have a perfect example in a JFK, in that you know, yeah, like he, you know, he had a you know, a a a a, a pretty bad upbringing. I mean, you hear about his father; that guy was a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond just selling shells to the Nazis, um, he you know he lobotomized jfk's sister basically or had her lobotomized anyway i could go down that rabbit hole i did mention my history bona fides uh, earlier in the in in the episode but Mm -hmm. there was a better target i think there was a better target of cancellation you could Mm -hmm. i mean you could even do a better target of cancellation with cleopatra which they sort of do but i think what they were trying to go for if if i want to give the if i want to give the creators some credit i think they were trying to make an episode that was so meta and so Mm -hmm about the first season and themselves and the zeitgeist like they were also aiming at the zeitgeist but they're unfortunately they have too many gray hairs now so that it's always going to come and look 
the wrong way. It's going to feel too Gen X and not and not Gen Z. Is mm-hmm. you know, this was a show that was canceled before it had a chance to really do more things. It came back twenty years later. Oh, what's what's the thing that happens after cancels? Well, there's the renewal. Oh, it's it's completely new. You might ask why we're doing this. Oh, well, why do anything? Well, why have a guy who's out of date? Well, you know, and then you you have this desire to to be like, man, we're canceling. I was like, are they going for a weird right wing bent now? Like, is that what this show is going to be about? And thank God they didn't do it. Thank God they didn't do no. it. No. And when you think about it, there is there is one indication that they don't entirely think cancel culture is bad, which is that you then proceed to see Abe having a complete meltdown online. Again, it wasn't funny, but at least I'm like, okay, they do seem to also show that like these people who tend to get quote unquote canceled also dig themselves even deeper and, you know, double down. So like, while it wasn't funny, I'm at least, okay, like it did relieve me of they're not going down this right wing bent. Because I also was thinking um, it's a bit of talking out of both sides of their mouth because I mean, ultimately, that episode does make fun of cancel culture, but I'm like, you guys did also, and, and like you said, I don't think this was a bad thing, but you guys did also discontinue Gandhi because of quote unquote cancellation. Like, you know, and it was probably the right thing to do, but they, they too, acknowledge, like, basically, to use right wing terminology, bent to cancel culture. Well, and I, they, I mean, they, they absolutely, I think you're right that they absolutely did and are talking out of both sides of their mouth because again, they recast the voice actress for Cleopatra and mm-hmm. she's now um, uh, an Iranian American actress is doing the voice of Cleopatra. And it shows insofar as um, Krista Miller now does, uh, now plays the sort of like the evil overseer as opposed to playing yeah. Cleopatra. And it's really funny because uh, Krista Miller's voice is really, really remarkable and when I hear her talking, I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's Cleopatra's voice. That's not like, so like mm-hmm. they they did modern they did a, they did a modern update. I guess you could argue whether a person of Iranian descent would match with somebody who is a Romanized Greek, ethnically Egyptian ruler. I think at a certain point you can't find you can't find a unicorn there that could that could match all that could tick all those boxes. And I do think representation matters. So I'm glad they're making some choices. Mm-hmm. But you do wonder. Um, at some point, even I guess I'm having it both ways because I'm like, yeah, you cannot truly find that unicorn, but it's also like, were they just thinking brown? Check. Uh, yeah, like, that's sort of what yeah. I. Thank you for picking up what I was dropping there. Was was now, yeah. Part of it's a pro, part of it's a problem because the character, the the figure of Cleopatra, of what we know of her, uh, you know, what we know of 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 her historically, what she looked like. We don't have photographs. So we don't know exactly what she looked like. What we do know from a mm-hmm. from as far as a, a a family tree, she is a scion of the Ptolemaic dynasty that was founded after uh, Alexander the Great. So she is of Greek Macedonian heritage at some point. We don't know wh- where all of that was going in and through. The city of Alexandria was a very Greek city. She also spent a lot of time in exile in Rome. So in terms of of all of that. It's a complicated thing. Moving Krista Miller over and then putting in a new a, a new actress is is fine. Uh, it does. I do wonder if it was out of the goodness of their heart or if this was like a here's a little tokenizing thing that we can just chip in and get out of the way. I do wonder. We'll never know. I'm not going to get an honest answer out of that. Uh, it's, to, it's a, you know. 
to quote the to, to quote Talking Simpsons or to paraphrase Talking Simpsons, the fantastic podcast that probably anyone who listens to this podcast already listens to. Um, in 2020, people are like, "Well, you know, can't can't abolish the police, can't uh, actually eliminate police violence. Best I can do is recast a couple voices." Like that's that that kind of became like it it started out as a probably the right thing to do and then became a stand in for actual justice. So while I'm not against the recasting of voices, I'm like this very quickly became a way of saying like, look, we're going to we're going to do these things. And aren't we being helpful? I'm like, well, uh, not really. But I mean, it's good for you, know, you, I guess. Well, and it's 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 funny because it's, it really is voice acting as lip service. Um which mm-hmm. is uh, which which could be if that's the case we don't we don't know maybe they maybe they really yep. do feel that that this was something maybe even and and maybe Krista uh, Miller said look I don't feel comfortable playing a character of um, questioned would that be the correct way of saying it I don't want to say questionable because that would have definitely the wrong connotation but yeah. of a, a, a of an a somewhat unclear and possibly disputed ethnic background at, in Cleopatra mm-hmm. maybe she's like look. I will play an evil white lady. I got no problem playing an evil white lady. I would love that. <laughs> I've done that many times. Um, uh, so, I mean, maybe, maybe like they're, they're, you know, to give her the benefit of the doubt or to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe there were good reasons for it and they recast them. It is funny, though, that when you watch the new series, whenever Candide Samson, I think is the name of the, 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 the Candide new Samson, yeah. yeah. Boy, and I do actually like her as a character. Yeah, yeah. she's she's fine. but. Oh. Yeah. If you if you close your eyes, it it her Krista Miller's voice is just like, yep, yeah, no, that's Cleopatra. That is who that one is. Yep. Um Yep. So so that this is a great segue because uh really important to ask with all these episodes is what is the modern equivalent? And I think we've kind of determined that the like if, if you know, we've got a 16, 17 year old now who is drinking with their friends in a basement and wants to get into a TV show, like I think we can probably agree that the reboot is not it um you know something made in the last 10 years what has you know similar vibes is going to send people down similar rabbit holes um you know when i look at things like something that accurately sends up popular high school uh teen dramedies uh there's nothing really um that's fine that i think that's because like frankly a lot of teen dramedies have gotten too intense to parody (laughs) like i look at euphoria and shit and i'm just like oh this is this is too intense. Um, I what I settled on really, really different vibe, and probably not drinking in a basement vibe. But um, uh, I think a lot of animation fans who were into Clone High somewhat naturally became BoJack fans. Um, I think it's because those are similar animated series that, like, yes, this sounds mean, but it's a burn on myself. They have the jokes that exist to make you feel smart. Mm-hmm. Um, BoJack is certainly filled with those, and and not too many. Um, the more lighthearted version, uh, maybe the drinking in the basement version, is Tuca and Birdie. Um, but BoJack also works because of a lot of its humor does rely on you knowing such specific shit, um, whether it's like celebrities, Hollywood, history, like or literature. There's so many great literary references. Um, another one that um, this is more than ten years old, but Archer. I think I think Archer is probably the closest thing because there's so much intelligent humor in Archer, and um, even though its animation is a lot more polished, the fact that Archer just doesn't commit to anything, you know, it doesn't even commit to what era the show is set in, um, I, and brilliant voice acting. So to me, BoJack, Tuca, and Birdie, and Archer are probably the things that I would send teenagers down the rabbit hole of now. I, I would wonder, I'll bet you you could convince teenagers to watch Tuca and Birdie, especially Bojack to a uh, to a certain extent. I would wonder, Archer is 
Archer exists in such a universe of like the, the, the voice cast really skews up the age group, you know, whether it's, it's a Jessica Walter or yeah. it's a Jeffrey Tambor, even a Chris Parnell, um, uh, 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 John Benjamin Aisha Tyler, yeah. um, would be, I mean, he's, he's at least been ubiquitous and has one of the greatest voices of all time. Um, you know, they have the whole thing with Christian Slater being a recurring character. Um, I think that one might be a little off the, off the list. I will say though, that you can see shades of clone high in all of those, uh, in all of those shows. I think you can see mm-hmm. some elements of that. I, you know, I'll, I think I'll be honest and say, I have no idea what, what teen comedy looks like now. I don't know, like, I, I don't know what show is, 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 is being watched that they that would really appeal to them. I don't know if, it's, if there's even stuff being marketed to them in the same way. It feels like everything, so, sorry, I was going to say just, I feel like everything is yeah, such nostalgia no. marketing. That everything is like, remember mm. Star Wars, remember Clone High, remember this, nothing dies, everything lives forever. Um, yeah. And again, who is that marketed to, really? Like, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so just Thursday night, I watched, I finished up, because uh, they actually ended the series, um, watching what I think is one of the better uh, teen uh, targeted comedies. Because, you know, I, I still watch teen comedies. I have a, I have a little walnut-sized brain. I love, I love teen comedies. Um, uh, never have I ever. Um, and I think what separates uh, popular teen content now from teen content when we were teens is that never have I ever... There is a universal appeal to it because a lot of it is about being a teenage girl, but there is also a a second layer of high specificity to it, to which I can't relate because there is a lot of specific humor about being an Indian girl and being a Hindu girl that, you know, a lot of my, uh, my friends who are Indian, they're like, no, this is a joke that you will not get if you are not Indian. But at the same time, then you can lean into that broader humor or sorry, the more universal humor of like... Indian mothers are famously overbearing and, you know, saying like, okay, but also um, a, a kid from a Jewish family can relate was, to this. I was going to say, I was gonna similar, say uh, yeah. everyone's mother is overbearing. That's what, that's, that's the funny, that's one of those things where. Um, everyone you, is convinced that their culture has a, um, has a patent on overbearing mothers. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the, you know, a, a, yeah. Italian people will say that. I'm sure you'll find, I'll, I'm sure somewhere in Mongolia, there's some guy who's like, oh, my mom, she just. You know, every time I cough, she she wants to send me to the doctor. You know, the, mm-hmm. the overbearing mother thing is is a universal trope, which may or may not mm-hmm. be rooted in misogyny. Um, uh, <laughs> although certain cultures, it is it is associated with more certainly. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, like friend friend of the show Gauch has has said like there are like when he was talking about Seinfeld and he's like there's so much humor about Jerry's mom being an overbearing mom and he and it's like well yeah but you've never seen a brown mom before and, and then he's like but really like the the only difference between like the stereotypical Jewish mom portrayal and a, and a brown mom and this is this is his words not mine is like is my mom would actually smack me like mm. like oh okay but an italian mom would do it with a wooden spoon um yes. and that that is me i guess engaging in anti-italian stereotypes i'm sorry but um but the, i dated an italian guy and i'm not saying it happened in front of me but it happened in front of me um <laughs> but uh yeah like i think the what what makes some good teen comedies these days is that they rely a lot on spe- specificity um and like this isn't so much a comedy but the movie ladybird there's so much in it that is about Sacramento, but is also about 
you know, your connection to your hometown, wherever that is. And I think that's what can make really brilliant writing. So like, I do think there's a lot of great teen content these days. But I think there isn't a lot of overly silly comedy for teens these days, because we're we're done with silliness for some reason. Like, we don't have completely rando internet humor anymore. I, I also do wonder how much of this stuff is workshopped to death. How much of it is... Like, uh, you know, you, you talk about, oh, God, I know I sound like a broken record on comedy aging like milk, but, you know, the violence of Clone High, which is usually, usually self-inflicted stuff, um, you know, like whether it's like like the Nork or something like that. Um, the, the Sorry, I need to interrupt you because the sound editing of the cheek slice on the Nork is uh, one of those things that lives in my head rent-free. And like any time... Oh, ah! Oh, it's it, does it make you do yikes? That oh, uh, so yes, podcast visual medium. But uh, you talk about line readings that live rent free in your head, and for me, it's. And if you're a clone hyphen, I'm sure you know what I just did with my hands. Um, that and um, the curling of Scudworth's fingers. Oh God, Scudworth um, is the best. But yeah, yes. Um, uh, but anyways. But no, I. But I. But I was gonna say. Um, you do wonder with comedies today if everything is being so workshopped and, and particularly in something like violence and then also particularly in something of not saying the wrong thing, you know, mm-hmm. getting it, I don't know if, if you want to make a show that's going to be like, oh, well, no, but you can't, you know, you, you, you can't abuse JFK. He was a man who lived with Addison's disease. And so that would be showing that would be like sort of showing a violent thing befalling a person living with an illness, which would, at least on Twitter, could create a uh, a, a bit of a social media firestorm of like, wow, this is ableist or this is this. I wonder if there is a sanitization mm-hmm. of media to not offend um or to not have directly, like directly, um, you don't want to generate discourse. Yeah, and now I will say yeah. there is there is a later there is a later episode where there's like a uh, an anxiety monster that the 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 clones defeat by like sharing their fears, but then also kicking, which is really funny. I will admit that's actually a really really funny bit. Uh, and then it's only later on that you find out that it is a person, but at the time you think it's an evil monster that's not a real thing. Like you think it's like a demon from from your subconscious or whatever. So it's okay to hit that because that's fine. But once you find out that it's a human, you don't kick it anymore because that would be wrong. Um, like there's, mm-hmm. I, I do wonder how much of this is, is that you try to keep it antiseptic in such a way that it can't be, you can't have these clips that are like, you know, like I think one of the great examples right now, and this is going to really date this show, but uh, the, the, the good doctor discourse that goes on of showing clips of just like, <laughs> of just like, Wait, this is the most popular show on television, and it's just a guy putting on neurodivergent face and and <laughs> saying homophobic, bigoted, transphobic, or like kind of like sexual assaulty vibes. Like that's that's the best show on television right now. What the hell are we doing? God, I you know what? Thank God my mother still doesn't understand what a podcast is. My mother, who is very, very modern, who still somehow doesn't know what a podcast is, because I would say, my mother, who has an autistic son, thinks that show is amazing. Like, 
I don't know. I just made it sound like my brother is not my brother. The autistic son is my brother. But <laughs> you don't. Wow, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that you disliked him that much. Wow. Jeez. Uh, no. No. Uh, I'm teasing. Teasing. Yes. Uh, no. Uh, it's. Uh, you didn't get to because it's not actually out yet. But our first episode on Ten Things I Hate About You kind of talks about that the need to make comedy, uh, especially youth targeted comedy, that is discourse proof and um at. I'm trying not to come across as like kids these days are are like I I think sometimes we might exaggerate we millennials might exaggerate how bad the puritans are because of course we're get of course the people like for the most part we only interact with teens online um and so of course the teens that we see online are going to be the overly online ones now that I am working with teenagers on a weekly basis, uh, teaching dance again, I can actually safely say that most teens aren't fucking like that. Um, but of course, yeah, like I, to, to be fair, I work with teenagers who are actually touching grass and, and they're normal, hard drinking Lincolns. Like they're, they're great. Um, but, uh, like when we were talking about what is the modern equivalent of 10 things I hate about you. And I said, like, it's almost like to have a modern equivalent, you would have to have one, like you see this in some teen comedies and never have I ever is a great example of where like a, a teen makes a decision that is clearly a bad decision. Like Debbie can be kind of a bad person sometimes, but we have to see her acknowledge on screen that she was bad and apologize for it. And it's like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I don't, I can, I can make up my mind myself. And, um, I don't know if you've seen this movie. You're a normal person who doesn't watch teen comedy, so you probably wouldn't have seen this movie. But uh, Sierra Burgess is a Loser, which is a Netflix original movie starring, don't know the actor's name, Barb from Stranger Things. Um, oh, and she, she's cool in Stranger is, Things, at least. Yeah, I know her. I, I And I like her in that movie. I think it was a very charming little movie. But the internet was just filled with this discourse about like, oh my God, well, the entire conceit of the movie is her being a bad person because she's deceitful and stuff. And I'm just like, you know... In my back in the nineties, um, basically the characters of te- the main characters of teen comedies were allowed to be bad people, um, and we didn't have to have a very special episode acknowledging that they were bad people. Um, because, and the irony is, guess who? Guess who are typically bad people? Teens, because they don't know empathy yet. Well, so, you're, you're at your most, uh, yeah, you're at your I, most self-absorbed. Like you have all sorts of hormones raging. I don't blame them. Like I want to. I want to say we all survived yeah. ideally. Most of us, the vast majority of us, survive our teen years and become better people thereafter. But like, you hey, know, Mike, you want to know why we are friends? Because we didn't meet each other when we were seventeen. Absolutely. Because we were probably both bad people. Yeah. Huh. And so uh, before this turns into too much of a kids these days rant, we're getting back to my favorite, uh, the enduring segment from Peak Show to Tales of the Rec Room, the lightning round. I gotta stop making that sound. Um. So, Mike, don't don't overthink this. Not a problem. Uh, of the original clones, <laughs> of the original clones, who's your favorite? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Gandhi. Actually, I know that might not make me the yeah. most like person, but just off the wall funny all the time. JFK is yeah. a close second. I, uh, I actually really love Abe. I think like Will Forte's originally original vocal performance is off the friggin' charts. I think the character design is adorable. Um, I actually, uh, I dated a guy who looked a lot like a real life version of the Abe Lincoln clone, which is not to say he looked like Abe Lincoln. Um, but he, he just had a lot of like the gangliness that they give Abe and awkward teen Lincoln is so cute. Um, so what is a line or line reading that lives rent free in your head? 
Um, I mean, I've already used I, I've I've already used the uh, uh, the one about um, I am twenty one. I am not twenty one. Oh, great, just a great JFK delivery of. Oh my God, you're a good, 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 good dead guy uh, as opposed <laughs> to a ghost. That is such a good. That is such a good line. Um, Gandhi in prison being like, my friend died from litter. He was white and privileged. And then the whole, all the criminals around him, <laughs> that is the saddest thing I've ever heard. You know, like, uh, was he famous? No. Well, it's still pretty sad. That, you know. Yeah. Um, so in terms of silliness, and I'm going to probably spike my levels on here, but I do, for some reason, love yelling, these are Palazzo's pants! Um, when, like, just... That episode has so much great JFK voice acting because of the breakdown, like that everything JFK says in that is like, like if only, if only Pods had three lives like Mario, but I, I do have to give it to, um, uh, because as a person, uh, with ADHD, um, the, and I love the character of Marie Curie. I love her voice, oh, but, she's um, wonderful. Oh, yeah. And so being a dancer, this comes up a lot, uh, which is, what if you have an ADD attack and can't remember the moves? And that's that's just a joke I tell about myself all the time because, like, you know, that, that whole episode is, a you know, a parody of how teen shows treated the AIDS epidemic. But now we do, like... I can. I am allowed to say this because I have ADHD. People online be talking about ADHD like we're in fucking iron lungs, and so it's actually come back a lot. Me, like, what if I have an ADHD attack? Like, this is literally discourse that has happened online. What if I have an ADHD attack and can't buy my groceries properly? What if I have an ADHD attack and have to work at the war crimes factory? Like, yeah. so it's a weird thing that has retroactively become a huge part of my daily vocabulary. That's I. I mean, that is a, a that episode is so good. And I'm. Oh, by the way, I was thinking while we were like enduring lines, uh, line readings. Mm-hmm. How can you forget? Um, did you see the pool? They flipped the bitch. They flipped the bitch. Oh my god, that is <laughs> oh. that is so good. Yep, absolutely. Uh, okay, so which name prompts a more visceral and pathological need to say in character voice? Wesley or Stamos? Wesley. I I have known so many people named Wesley that I did have to push down the urge anytime so I was like, oh hey, my name's Wesley to stop. Wesley. But weirdly, I actually can't see the name Stamos without yelling Stamos! Like especially because of how annoying it is. Like I don't think we have not talked nearly enough about Scudworth on this episode and how Scudworth is such an excellent character, everything from his animation to his voice, to the voice acting. But like, again, that this is where like the rando humor is great. The fact that we just decided for no reason, let's have principal Scudworth have a rivalry with John Stamos. Love that for him. Love that for me. Um, So let's say, You've done the reboot because we're all convinced we could have done a better re- reboot. Who are some other clones you would have rather introduced? Okay. Besides, you know, Harriet Tubman, Frida Kahlo. I don't necessarily think, I mean, of course, both of those characters were in the the first season, um, designed very differently and played by different uh, voice actresses in one case. And then in another case, I think was just uh, uh, Frida Kahlo was in the background. Um, so... I think something that you could have done that would have been pretty successful and, and, and 
relatively easy to do was create a rival for JFK in Alexander the Great. Um, you could do so much with that character because, um, you know, he's if, if if someone was JFK before someone was JFK, it was Alexander the Great. Like this guy was just, you know, chat rainbows and unicorns. But you also have a character that was... But also by as hell. That was what... That's actually something that I was about to get into is you could create mm-hmm. a love interest with Abe, if you wanted to, with JFK, completely play things up in a different in a different way and take a different tack. Um, you know, I think that's... Uh, I, I would have personally... Um, I think that the new season made the mistake of... Um, expanding the cast like now it's like eight characters and so people sort of feel There's so many now people sort of feel uh, a bit too much but you could have a recurring bit of just alexander the great showing up hitting on jfk hitting on joan and then going in and and being like oh, i'm gonna call this place alexandria or i'm gonna call this place you know because like he named like 27 towns alexandria you, you could do a bit really great with alexander the great um I think if you did it well, you could do something with like maybe a sitting bull. Um, you could do, you know, you could have, you could just sort of have, frankly, you could have more, like more characters that are significant and racialized. I know that was sort of their mm-hmm. attempt with Frida Kahlo and with Harriet Tubman a little bit was to make it more accessible. And I think that's a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and also adding Confucius who actually I do like Confucius in the new series Um, I was trying to think Alexander the Great is the big is the big one for me Um, you could maybe Mm -hmm. do like Queen how is it pronounced Uh, Boudicai I think the the old like the old English like uh, uh, sort of uh, queen from like 800 AD or something maybe even earlier she was like a uh, a pirate slash vandal queen that would be a, a fun you know, contrast. Mm -hmm. How about you? So, yeah. First of all, your note with the expanded cast, I completely agree, but one of the biggest sins, I think, and there's another lightning round question about this, but it takes away from the recurring characters. And because I think often comedy's strongest points are the recurring characters. And we really see those reduce a lot. Uh, In terms of historical figures, the biggest thing I would have loved to see is Ronald Reagan, because I fucking hate the guy. And, you know, we want to talk about an episode with cancel culture. Let's get Reagan in there. Why the fuck not? Maybe, I don't know, in 2000, was he dead yet in 2003? How happy was I? Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure he was dead by then. I'm I'm pretty sure God uh, uh, came in the clutch. I forget when he died because I know he died during my childhood, but I forget entirely when because I always mix like dead presidents up. Um, I just know he's dead and I'm happy. Um, he did. If I'm going to feel really fucking stupid if he died before I was born. But oh, he no, didn't. no, no. He, no, he died in 2004. Know, he, yeah, wow. He outlived Clone High. He did wow. outlive Clone But so, yeah, then he was Alzheimer's addled back then and we were admittedly it's really mean to make fun of people with Alzheimer's, um, but I will make an exception for that dude um, because he was a bad dude. Um, I guess I guess that's why you you couldn't do Ronald Reagan in the original run because he wasn't dead yet. What what a terrible time. Um, but then I also think like <laughs> um, you know you want to talk about um, world leaders 
whose reputations have only rightly recently been destroyed. Um, fucking John A. McDonald, with the exception that no one fucking knows or cares who John A. McDonald was. In the in a similar vein, I I was excited to know that they had a Christopher Columbus clone. I hate what they did with him. Topher Bus, like, yeah. is that supposed to be? funny how intentionally bad it is um well and and i think that speaks i think that speaks to the both sides of the mouth thing again that they've been that they've Mm -hmm. been doing on on the modernization of sort of uh acknowledging that historical figures have warts and don't necessarily need to be lionized when they committed genocides Mm -hmm. you know like i think yes that's what i think i think the tover bus situation is very very uh, what are your politics at this point guys mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh and then one other one i was thinking of because they do have a few uh characters who are more like famous actors famous performers one i think would be really funny and great for like because clone high had great physical comedy buster keaton i want i would love to see a buster keaton clone that would have been a perfect that would be actually that's a great answer for a, a replacement to gandhi because you would get the off the wall mm-hmm. prop comedy explosion comedy all of that stuff would be that would be, that's a great idea yeah have the entire front face of the clone high high school building fall in front of him or whatever okay so what is a joker bit from the original series from the original series that does fall flat for you not even in a this doesn't age well or this isn't fun but like just a this isn't funny sense um there's a few i um I was not a huge fan of, uh, like the Marilyn Manson sort of like his like hokey little song, and then then and like it, it just felt like even at the time I'm like, okay, so they've got Marilyn Manson doing who's his, this for? Yeah, and then and then it, but then it's then it turns into like, and then you'll be in hell, and then it it, it gets all like that, and mm-hmm. I feel like that doesn't really that didn't really do anything. Now, of course, later on. We also learned bad things with Marilyn Manson. So. It also doesn't age well. Um, but also, it's, I was, it's a twofer. But like, also, I, when he was like popular, um, uh, when I was like twelve or thirteen, I was like, who cares? Like this, like he felt like a tryhard to me when I was young. Um, yep. So you know, I think that was part of it. Um, trying to think of other. A lot of the Snowflake Day stuff is pretty. Is pretty like okay, guys, we get it. We get it. Things are yep. non-denominational. We get it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, it is probably good to think, to remember also that that kind of, you know, PC bad uh, humor did exist a little bit in the original series with the Snowflake Day. Also because a lot of cartoons had those types of episodes and those types of jokes back then of, we can't call it Christmas. Um, so again, war on Christmas humor, not new, not fresh. Um I will say that I didn't like a lot of the bits in the Jack Black Smoking Raisins episode. Uh, and and in fact, all of the songs in that one fell flat for me. So that one was a little flat. I also think um, I didn't like any of the character bits of Cleo's foster stepmom. I just think it was weird, lazy humor uh, and the uh, like... It was sad old drunk lady and none of it was actually funny. You're just saying lines and giving her a slurred speech. So I just thought that was a really unfunny character. Like whenever she was on screen, I tuned out. No, I think that's, I think that's completely fair. Mm-hmm. Um, As opposed to like, I think Toots is the best character. Toots is wonderful. Of course, you know, some of that would, 
again, if it if it was a new show and like he, I don't think he's in. I don't think Toots is in the new. No, they season. say Toots died. Okay, That's, and, I'll, that, and yeah, they just give it a one liner. And I wonder, I wonder, well, right, because now Candide is Joan's stepmother, uh, foster mother. Yeah, um, foster mother. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how much of that is. No, we can't. Even if we have a black voice actor doing it, the 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 blind black man whose sole role is to say, "Now I may be a blind man," and 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 then get hit by a car. I don't know if that. <laughs> I don't know if like no, but that that is something that that is something that yeah. wouldn't necessarily go over as well in 2023 versus 2003. I I don't think there's any shame in saying that. I think that that's a sign of. Yeah. Slight progress. It is weird, though, that you are getting rid of characters of color to do it. Who are also voiced by them. Yes. Yeah. It's And there. I think there have even been comedies that joke about that. Like, we've got to get rid of all the stereotypical characters. Oh, great. We've gotten rid of all of our characters of color. Um, but on the other hand, just because you are, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this term, but just because you're parodying a magical Negro trope doesn't mean that you're not still doing the trope. So I, I get it. That said, um, one of my favorite uh, terms is Pope joke. Like you hear a good Pope joke, Joni, mm. um, so which I will not popes. do. In yeah, the no, voice, that's. But. I wanted yeah. to. Um, I wanted and to pious say, XXI. No, go on. I wanted to say um, related to the raisins episode um, with like the pusher and everything like that. I'm not a mm-hmm. huge fan of that episode either, especially the mythical quest with the. Um, oh, what the heck is it called? It's not a unicorn. It's a. But half. she says, I will thrice lay you, which I do say that all the time. I will thrice lay you. I will thrice lay Yeah. That, that, the voice is great there. Uh, just a weird thing. Yeah. What I do like about that episode is that is a wonderful send up to so many musicals that I have so much affection for. Specifically, Tommy. Tommy would probably be the, would probably be, in terms of the actual music itself, it's very similar to that. You get some Jesus Christ Superstar in there. You get some hair in there. Um, you know, you get a lot of different, that is actually, Though I agree that the songs aren't great, um, the mm. visuals of that are really, really good. There's also some um, Yellow Submarine vibes there, too. Like, there's a lot that I will give credit for if you can throw in, and again, this maybe speaks to making the audience feel smart about themselves in the slowest lightning round ever. Uh, 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 you throw, I, I mentioned four musicals there. I think they also probably include a little bit of Joseph in there, like, that's really cool to me. And then you have somebody who is as mm-hmm. charismatic and musical comedy focused as Jack Black in there does admittedly feel like a bit of a waste, all things considered, with all of the other great visual work they did. It's just that the audio didn't mm-hmm. hold up. I also think one of the most accurate things in that episode, which has nothing to do with the musical, is never tried Vegemite! Because, man, people get really upset when they find out you've never tried Vegemite. Um, so... Original series, of course, which supporting background gag or one-off clones, you know, basically which, who of the supporting cast uh, or recurring cast is your favorite of the clones? Of the clones. Um, I feel like I kind of spent that bullet on, on uh, Genghis Khan. Um, that mm-hmm. might be, that might be a little, uh, um, I actually, you know, no, in, in the, uh, um, the episode where, uh, the spring break episode when they're just referencing it's it's just a great sight gag 
of like, oh yeah, I'm going on this plane with Buddy Holly, John, John Denver, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and uh, and half of Leonard, half Skinner. of Leonard Skinner. That is yeah. that is a great. And then you see the plane <laughs> like that, like th- that whole list. That's that's just a, a wonderful gag as a one off. Because mm. so know I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna come. <laughs> I'm going to come back to Marie Curie um, because it's interesting how kind of like Genghis Khan, like a character designed to be horrifying, there's something actually really adorable about her. And it's the outfit that they put her in and the voice that they give her. Um, Her voice is so great. It makes the delivery of things like he's playing, he's with Oscar Wilde playing pool or the what if you have an ADD attack. I also love the line and I've said this about myself like, oh, Brie may be a hideous, uh, hideously disfigured monster, but she's a really good dancer. dancer. Um, You know, yeah, yes. Um, So I, I, I love her very much. Okay, so. The, and this is largely a piss take because I'm, we're aware that these relationships are basically parodies. But Joan and Abe or Joan and JFK? Um, Joan and JFK only because Abe, his whole bit, and they really part of why the second season isn't as great. Uh, his the the Will Forte. Oh, Joan, I could only ever think of you as a friend. Why we could sleep together in the same bed and not have any and not touch or hug or any and. All that was so great to uh, uh, just showcase how oblivious Abe was, but also in the prom mm-hmm. episode, JFK has a pretty cool, heartfelt moment of being like, "You're a pretty swell Betty, Joan." You know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. if if that if that dummy Lincoln, if that chowderhead Lincoln can't see that, why his head's so full of sh- chowder, he should his skull should be a bread bowl. That's really <laughs> sweet. Like, all right, it like, is the. The other thing, and I don't even know if this was a case of like the 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 writing because it doesn't even seem intentional. But when you think about it, the like quote unquote bad guys of Clone High being Cleo and and JFK, they're not actually that bad of people. Like they don't actually do anything that wrong. Like we never see Cleo. I don't. I don't think we actively see Cleo like cheating on Abe or anything. Like they're. They're they're pretty decent people. JFK is just a bit of a horn dog. So um, yeah, I love Joan and JFK, and like the way she comforts a broken JFK after Ponce dies. You know, uh, Cleo uh, is that- Cleo is malicious in certain ways, but like she's not. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she's meant to be a queen bee type. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. she's not doing anything too crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Now that said, Joan and Abe or Cleo and Abe? Um, I'll, I'm actually going to go with Cleo and Abe. I, I think we actually found the two perfect partnerships here uh, yeah. because he works great. Like they did a lot of great bits of, well, I'm done taking orders. Yeah, sure, honey, I can take your order. Like, I, like there, there was good, mm-hmm. there was good comedic delivery there. And um, I also think you, there's, there's some, just something funny of like, that is real life of like, well, why is that absolute smoke show with the ugly guy? Oh, it's because he's tall. Like, like there's, there's, yep. he's, he's tall and a pushover. So like, that's why that couple He's works. tall and malleable. Yeah. yeah. I, my cheat is I will say Cleo and President Dog, but, uh, which I wish, I wish the President Dog jokes had gone on longer. Uh, we basically only see that there is a puppy for President one episode later. Uh, okay. Favorite celebrity appearance. Ooh. Um... This one's tough because 
I already said I didn't like the Jack Black and Marilyn Manson ones, which really limits me. And I already said mm-hmm. that I don't like the Snowflake uh, episode all that much. What I will say is it's uh, it's Chris Berman, uh, the sportscaster, who I think has maybe since deceased. I'm not 100% certain. But uh, when they do the, the Gesh episode with the, uh, the evil school, uh, the evil clone mm-hmm. school, um, <laughs> it's uh uh yeah it's 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 chris berman and dan patrick there i love any i love any media that has real sports casters playing it straight saying ridiculous things like the basketball one is a great example um but mm-hmm. having but ha- and i think dan patrick might be doing that one too maybe anyway um mm-hmm. ma- anyway I but i just so. love i i in terms of a guest spot i love that because you get these guys saying Wow, you know, get, like they're 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 playing it straight. They're reading the lines, and then they do the great sort of meta thing of like, my microphone's not even plugged in. Well, that's funny, Chris, because I don't even have a microphone. That's just a good. <laughs> I've been talking into my fist. Yeah, yeah, you know, like like that 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 uh will will be my answer because I unfortunately excluded so many others earlier. I'm going to be a major stereotype and say I love the Tom Green stuff. Like, that episode is so annoying, but uh, comedy annoying. It's effectively annoying. And so why don't we bring in one of the most famously annoying comedians of that extremely specific time period of like 1999 to 2003, aka the only time anyone cared about Tom Green? Um, Because you want to talk line readings that live rent-free in my head. And again... This is part of my culture. I get to use it. Plastic bag, plastic, plastic bag, bag, plastic, plastic bag. bag. Yeah, I was thinking that the inter- yeah. when, you, when you mentioned Tom Green in my head, I was like, plastic bag, plastic bag. I, I I think that might actually be some of the only things that I like Tom Green for. I, I will also say that nothing else about this movie is good, but I love him in the Charlie's Angels movie. It's the Chad. Um, you know, he's he's a comedian that I just think like was never meant to have long-term success because his whole thing is he's annoying. And as it turns out, that can't endure. But um, that really found a way to capitalize on his annoyingness. Hey, man, I hope he's got generational wealth just for having made Freddy Got Fingered. That movie is still so funny to me. <laughs> I, look at, like, I the, love Freddy Got Fingered. The, the backwards man the, thing. I, I laugh every time. Yeah. I don't care. I don't know. It's so dumb. You know what? Tales from the Rec Room of Freddy Got Fingered. Um, so... What is your single favorite episode of the original run? Uh, probably the prom makeover episode. That's a pretty perfect. <laughs> that's a pretty perfect. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the name. I think it's what it's, it's makeover, 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 makeover. The episode, something <laughs> like that. It's like six or seven times. Is, is the. How about you? Yeah. Um, it is the very second episode and I, uh, gosh, I can't remember what the name of it is because these episode names are so fucking long, but it is the school election episode. Um, and like there are, I think that one has just so many great bits. It fits so many high school cliches into one. You see a great progression of the Abe Cleo relationship. Like you said, there's a lot of very smart historical humor in it. And then there's also just humor that pokes fun at at marketing. I love any humor that uh, pokes fun at marketing. Surely you do as well as your wife works in marketing. Um, You know, now being a, a trade journalist as well, do you know how many times that I have gotten the equivalent to great question, have a t-shirt in my, in my life? Like the, um, yeah. So the extreme blue stuff, like that's 
fantastic parody of like the rando humor of the time. Um, I think it's almost a perfect episode of television and I'm probably going to eat my words because nothing is perfect and Clone High, like you said, is not a perfect show, but that is a perfect episode of television for me. So to conclude our thoughts on Clone High, we need to determine a couple things. So let's say you're watching this for the first time in 2023 in your 30s. Now we've already talked about the things that don't age well, but I want to talk about some aspects of the show that you think have aged incredibly well. Um, there were some, okay, there were actually a couple of political statements. They shouldn't even have to feel like political statements, but they are. The ADD episode is a great example of it, um, where at the end, the way they resolved that episode where Gandhi is being shunned is Abe kisses him. And then the whole thesis (laughs) from the student body is I'm far less uncomfortable with Gandhi's ADD than I am with two men kissing. And that's like, the, mm-hmm. the, that's the resolution. <laughs> that's the resolution of everything. And that, uh, that worked in 2003. That works in 2023 as well, unfortunately, which is a real, which is a real fucking shame, but is also God damn, yeah. like, it's one of those things. It's one of those things where you're like, ah, boy, that, have we just, we, we just never learned, huh? We never grew as people, did we? No, not at all. Uh, I, I will agree with that. I think like politically, um, you know, one of the things, and, and I said this on my on my South Park episode back when I was doing Peak Show, um, is the thing about comedy that tries sometimes to have it both ways is it does get it both ways. And sometimes, like, I can't always, befo- I can't always fault that, you know, because it does really, like, it can really effectively stick it to bigots in that sense. Um, and, and I also think like, you know, there is, like I said, the fact that it really accurately sends up Joan as a bit of a not like other girls uh, kind of entitled to have you type. Like like I said, if the, if, Clone, if Clone High were a more popular show, it would have killed that, that type of character uh, because I think Joan is a brilliant character from a writing perspective. She's also not a great person because she is very entitled. And, um, you know, they even, there were funnier ways to do this, but they addressed this in the, in the reboot of like, well, in 2003, girls weren't friends with each other. Girls didn't support each other. And so she kind of acknowledges that her character really is a byproduct of that era. And so I think that is an aspect of it that ages well as it was ahead of its time in pointing out that girls like Joan are often just as mean, if not more mean than girls like Cleo. Um, they actually, okay, so, oh, sorry. I was gonna say, they, they actually do in, in the new season. It's the fourth or fifth episode. That's as, as far as I got, they actually do come to a conclusion of like, no, Joan's also a piece of shit. It's it's, it, it was, mm-hmm. it was a halfway decent episode because it had a lot of Confucius in it. And I like that. Of the new characters, I like Confucius. He's pretty good. Was that the episode that contained, uh, for some reason, talk about things that are not fresh, uh, an I Know What You Did Last Summer parody? Oh, God. No, it's not that episode. Although he is, that's, I think, the one where- That sucked. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, okay. a prom, it's a prom proposal or like prom queen thing. They Again, they recycle so many. It's never a good sign when you take 20 years to make a show- have a second season and then you're like by episode three or four you're like hey remember when we had a really good episode about testing and prom why don't we do those again mm-hmm. but worse yeah want to have a musical episode yeah. that's also worse let's do that so yeah okay so let's say you're settling in for a good old physical media marathon what are some other pieces of media from this era movies albums other tv shows that you would kind of want to make a part of that so 
Um, yeah, uh, the, the power hour of this in undergrads, and then you can feel bad about yourself for having gray hair or back pain would be a good, would be a good mm-hmm. mixture. Uh, also in the, in the vein with undergrads, uh, the media that I would pair with this would be like American football. Um, you know, like a lot oh, of good. The, we're talking about Midwest emo. <laughs> I was about to say a lot of the emo that came out, like I didn't realize until after the fact Cause like when I was, when I was 16, I was actually listening to like more classic rock stuff. Like I was very huge into like Led Zeppelin and David Bowie. And then I was hearing, then I was hearing while watching things like undergrads and uh, clone high, I was like, Oh, what's this like sort of tuned down guitar sort of emotionally fraught shit. And then I'm like, Oh Midwest emo. Interesting. I mm-hmm. I quite like that actually. So I would definitely pair this with something that again now all of the people who wrote those songs are like 50. Um and, <laughs> and, and talking about the significance of of uh you know their their lives in such a way uh, that, that feel quite trite. I would I definitely pair it with uh um the music as well. That would be a big part of it. Um mm-hmm. and also I don't know like big bag of weed and having just played frisbee with my friends from high school i think would be a big part of it yeah yeah take an edible get couch locked um so for music obviously like you want to look at i guess arm to the teeth by abandoned pools um also this album i I also have a midwest emo album on here uh which predates clone high but uh designing a nervous breakdown by the anniversary is to me one of the uh premier midwest emo albums of the early 2000s i was really into midwest emo uh as well as hardcore um Mind you, I was also into Canadian emo, which is like a worse version of Midwest emo. Um, but uh, and then in terms of other TV shows, this hasn't really come up because it's not quite the same style of humor. But I find everyone who likes Clone High ends up liking this, uh, which is Home Movies. Um, definitely give Home Movies a rewatch because it's an easy, very quick rewatch. And and then while you're at it, why not watch a couple seasons of The Venture Brothers? I would suggest everybody watch The Venture Brothers always and only. Yeah. You don't actually need a reason to do it. Uh, all right, Mike. So thank you for being uh, with us for this third episode of Tales from the Rec Room. If you want to, if somehow everyone made their way here, if you want to once again plug where we can find you and read your thoughts, now's the time. Absolutely. You can uh, follow me uh, on Twitter at by Mike Stevens. That is with a PH, not a V, the correct way to spell mm-hmm. Stevens. Um, and yeah, uh, eventually, eventually, uh, 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 ho- guest host of episode two of Rec Room and I, my wife, uh, will eventually get moving forward on a Venture Brothers podcast of our own because that's like a long-term goal that when you don't have a uh, an eight-week-old baby, uh, you can do. So, you know, that's yeah, something we're I w- eventually was- going to do. I was wondering whatever happened to those plans to start a podcast, and then I remembered, oh, right, you guys, uh, you know, did uh, have another child. So We did um, each other, yes. Um, and then yeah. had another baby as a result. Yeah. Ah, there we go. I grossed you out. There we go. We got Jesus it. Christ. Uh, Jesus we Christ. Well, uh, at by Mike Stevens, by Mike Stevens, uh, as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde. You can find me online at prune underscore underscore Tracy or follow this podcast at Rec Room Tales on Twitter. If you are already following Peak Show, you are following this. I just changed the handle. I'm a clever girl. Uh, new episodes come out every Thursday during this summer. And you can join us back in the rec room next week with our good old friend ted raymond we're talking about one of my favorite video games chrono trigger thank you very much for listening take it easy